Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast where four white guys try to have a sensitive discussion about racial issues. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Asmussen. And we are here to uh, put together what will, will likely be the most awkward of all of our historian podcasts. Well, today. I think it's already awkward because no one even had like a fun joke to say when they came in. So I, I was, opted I not to say a Jay. fun joke either. So <laughs> we can tell how excited Jay is. Well, th- this will fit the tone of the season very well because there are no fun jokes in Cook Islands either. So we, this we, is our... We were, we were... The only thing that was in my head, Paul, to tell you the truth was... I was going to make some joke about, you know, how many octopi were wrapped around my legs at the time of this podcast. So that was a good... Yeah, but then I realized that was really crappy, right? And then I sat there and said, but that's the best I have for the six episodes that But I I thought we were... We were doing impressions, though, right? Jay was doing Cecilia, I was doing Becca, Becky, and Paul was doing uh, Rebecca, right? <laughs> Correct. Well, I was going to make the joke that this podcast is going to be as, as about as much fun as uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. So that's where I was going with it. <laughs> oh, that's it. Paul, you're going home. Your heart's not in it. <laughs> did Paul, did you say you didn't, you didn't want to do the Historian's Podcast today? Was that, was that what I heard? No, I'm the one person who wants to do this podcast, so Yeah. Oh, yes. For those of you who do not know the history of the historians here, three of us are not fans of Cook Islands. In fact, I have gone on record as saying it is absolutely the worst Survivor season ever, and it's ridiculous how bad it is. But you have Paul, young, our, our bright young fin- friend, Mr. Oslison, who loves Cook Islands. So it is going to be an interesting little uh, point, counterpoint this, this, uh, his, this podcast. And I think everything is going to be amplified because I would not go say that I love it, but in comparison to to how you guys have been talking about it, I definitely would put it in the love category. So I'm going to be sticking up for Cook Islands um, for all the people out there who don't hate it as much as you guys do. I will con myself a little bit and say that in, in watching this first batch of episodes, I will admit that there are moments in like the first four episodes that I think are definitely interesting and worth talking about that being said you know in this first batch of episodes basically from episode five onwards once these like fun characters start leaving and granted there are few and far between the ashby line is going to get a big workout in these couple podcasts but once they leave it really becomes a bit of a slog so i mean we might be in like the best part of the season right now when we're discussing it and i don't know what that has to say about our opinions on the season as a whole i, I like how mike said the best characters start leaving any and he had included cecilia in there <laughs> oh my god she is like the goddess aphrodite she just is so enigmatic here's the thing with with cook Islands. i feel like as we go through these several hours of talking through uh the the, the start of cook islands here i think that we need to sort of clarify i mean i've been a a proponent that i am not the biggest fan of cook islands i don't know if i've said it's the worst episode i i may or worst season i may have said so I don't know. There are seasons that I certainly hate more. But but this season is one of those where no one that likes the season has offered me a good defense for it other than, well, I, I like Jonathan. Or, or, you know, I like Yule. And it's like, I like Jonathan and I like Yule. The season's still... It, to me, it's like it should be so much more than what it is, and it isn't. And I, I just find that more, you know, th- that that's just offensive on some sort of level other than, you know, just me having just a very negative visceral reaction to a season. Because I have that for certain seasons and I don't really have a super negative reaction to Cook Islands. It just it just is. And it's just there. And 
it doesn't it's not thought provoking it's not really reaction driven and it's got all of these sort of parts that you would think would add together to some sort of big picture and then it doesn't and that's sort of insulting in a way and i always feel like if you really love cook islands you should demand more out of a survivor season well, I'm gonna, I'm glad you actually brought that up, Jade, because part of the challenge I'm having now as we as I rewatch these episodes and as we podcast about that is to come up with a reason why there is something captivating about it because um our friend over at the tribe, Shandy, this was the first season of Survivor she ever watched. Um I remember sitting around in um I don't know where we were, somewhere, someone's living room, talking about Survivor. Oh, no, no, I've never watched Survivor. Like, no, not my thing. And then we were, like, talking about some different twists in the game. We were like, oh, there's a season where they divide them by race. And she, like, couldn't believe that. And so I just sent her the link to, it was a YouTube playlist that had the entire season on one playlist. And I just sent that to her, like, in the evening at, like, 7 o'clock. By the time I had woken up the next morning, she had watched the entire season of Cook Islands in one sitting. She stayed up all night watching it because she couldn't stop. So there was something captivating that got her in it. And I've also know another friend who she watched Cook Islands with two people who had never seen Survivor before, and they were completely sucked into it. So I'm going to take on that challenge to try to find ways about why Cook Islands is captivating in some way. And I have some theories that I'll throw out there as, as we move along. Now, being from Montana, is it true that it wasn't only the first time Shandy had seen Survivor, but the first time Shandy had seen a black person? <laughs> that and also, I thought you were going to say first time she had like seen something on television before. So it was <laughs> kind of well. yeah, that, that's where I was going. I was it like, might, it oh, might have just been the it might have just been the flashing images that really drew her in. So we'll, <laughs> do these people live <laughs> inside that box? <laughs> and are they it's like, in there? It's like Wonka Vision. Do they shrink down? <laughs> Yeah, well, one thing I wanted to mention before this podcast, because, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of negativity in this podcast, but the one kind of elephant in the room that I have to bring up is Cook Islands is a hugely popular season. And that's one thing I want to talk about in this podcast. There are very few seasons I can think of that I, where I know more people that love the season. Like I just, I, Almost everybody I know loves Cook Islands, and it's one of those things where I always think, did you just not watch it recently? Do you just not realize how much slow stuff is in the middle? But it's, again, I can't ignore this. I'm in the minority in saying that I don't like the season. So this is one thing. Yeah, I know. That's the first racial joke. Thank you. And that was unintended. Get on the tribe, Mario. Exactly. But I, I do think, I think over time it has gone down. Like when it came out, it was like this huge, like love it, love it season. But I think that as time has gone on, there have been more people who've jumped to the Mario ship. Well, I think that in a lot of ways, popularity you know it waxes and wanes and i think that one of the things that i one of my theories and this is totally unscientific and unfounded but one of my theories uh, as to why people say they love cook islands is that the stuff that has come out of cook islands and by stuff i mean people that have come back and played the game uh, several times you know we've had ozzy come back and ozzy is a big character and we've had parvati come back and and Parvati, you know, has morphed into Parvati with a capital P. And we have, you know, Jonathan Penner that's come back, and he's certainly delightful. And, you know, the fact that, you know, we had Yule uh, as the winner of Cook Islands being someone that is, you know, probably the greatest human being to ever play Survivor going on to win the season. I think people, when they think about Cook Islands, they think about those people that came out of Cook Islands and, you know, furthered themselves in, in the Survivor history. Uh, and and they then think favorably on Cook Islands. And my argument is whatever they did in future seasons was not super on display in Cook Islands itself. Mm-hmm. Really go back and watch the season and, and, and tell me if, they're, if, if they are who you think they are. I completely agree. I mean, I would say 
if people are looking to see Cook Islands as a prequel to the legacies of Ozzy and Parvati and to a lesser extent Jonathan Penner and Candace Woodcock, uh, in terms of prequels, this you would think this is like X-Men Days of Future Past, but it winds up much more like Muppet Babies in terms of a functional prequel. <laughs> you said Woodcock. <laughs> yes, she's she is Woodcock here. So maybe we can separate it here. Like Ma- Candace Woodcock playing is different than Candace Cody playing. Poverty is different from playing than poverty this season. A lot of poverty, yes. One thing that I, I remember about Cook Islands with my history of it is that when I was going back to research the Funny 115, this is many years ago, what, six, seven years ago now at this point, I was very excited to watch Cook Islands, and I just had good memories of it. So I understand why it's popular, and the reason that I always had good memories of it is because I used to always write that it's one of really the two seasons where the two best players got to square off in the end, and it was one of those where it was Ewell versus Ozzy. You got the, the ultimate brains versus the ultimate brawn. It's m- maybe the only time in survivor history that's ever happened where these two outstanding people made it to the end and you had to choose which type was more important and again obviously the final three twists was responsible for that but still just in history it was kind of a big deal and i would I'd always argue the only other season that really happened where you had people that close at the end that could have won was tina and colby which i would always argue in australia was kind of an asterisk as well because australia only ended because that way because the players didn't want to be assholes like borneo like well we don't want to be seen as selfish on tv so colby has to take tina because i have to take the best of the best just because it's just the only reason australia happened is because of timing and the only reason cook islands happened is because of the final three but i always kind of held it up on a pedestal because it was one of the rare seasons where the two great people met at the end so i can kind of get that i kind of get why people like it it's it's just one of those that it exists. It's so great when you look at it just kind of in a vacuum. You don't kind of look at it overall with a rewatch where you watch episode by episode. And I'll, I'll say that this season, like of all the seasons we've done so far, like fits the least into like why we do historians. Like we do historians to go back and like show you things that you might have missed and how like these seasons get better when you rewatch them again and again and again. Where Cook Islands is almost like the opposite. Like the more you watch it, kind of the less you think of it. So it'll be interesting to see how we how we manage to do this. Maybe we'll set the bar so low about how awful it is that when people go back to watch it, they're gonna be like, "Oh, it wasn't as bad as those those three assholes." And you know, we're 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 talking about it. So do you we too. Wanna- <laughs> Do we want to talk about the? I mean, this is the first time we're going to be talking about like pre-show stuff uh, since a little while ago because this was very controversial at oh, the yeah. time, extremely controversial to the point of where like they had a Mad TV sketch about this. Like this basically put Survivor back into water cooler talk, but not necessarily for a good reason. Yeah, I remember yeah. that Mad TV sketch. That was funny. Which is saying it, something for Matt TV. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I didn't say it was hilarious and brilliant and, and, you know, stands the test of time, but funny. Neither does Cook Islands. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's, what you're saying is absolutely correct. This, this was one of the rare instances after the first or second season where even non-Survivor fans were kind of talking about Survivor. And like Jay said, maybe not in a good way. And this is one of those things that can't really be overstated. Like, what a big deal this racial twist was at the time. Or, you know, Survivor was kind of dead and gone. No one really talked about it anymore. And all of a sudden, it shows up in People magazine or all these other mainstream magazines. Survivor is going to divide people by race this season. And if I recall, they didn't really drop that news of that twist until kind of right before the season started. It wasn't at the end of Exile Island, they didn't mention that. And I don't remember it came out for a while. I think it was only a couple weeks before 
the premiere when all of a sudden all this news came out that they're going to divide oh we're going to put the blacks on one tribe and the whites on another and and again it's like Parvati's reaction in the first episode can you do that I didn't know people could do that so it was a big deal at the time there was a lot of of uh, media scrutiny over this first episode well, and what, how it was going to be presented and I remember on when Jeff Probst came on the early show to talk about to hype up the season I remember Harry Smith who was the host at the time he was just like so down on this to Jeff's face he's like oh everyone in the newsroom is just like oh seriously this is what they're doing oh this has gone too far and so Jeff had to from the beginning kind of defend this concept they have because everyone was so down on it yeah and I- it's it's interesting because I mean aside from amongst the people that were down on it were several sponsors, um, so you know I think like at least five or six of them pulled out. Uh, I mean I think like Coca Cola withdrew and General Motors and like Home Depot and I think they've tried to retcon things and say that like oh they have they their contract like expired around the same time. But I mean it's it's tough to not correlate those things of like as soon as survivor announces they're basically doing race wars that a bunch of major establishments decide to pull their support for the show. Yeah. And of all the things that get remembered about cook islands and all the things that people say about it, it's that's one thing that never gets mentioned enough that this was a really, really controversial season. And a lot of people were angry about it. And I I remember I have a, uh, an aunt who's a Spanish teacher in Seattle and, I was talking to her, but she's never seen Survivor. She doesn't even own a TV. She really has no idea what Survivor is. But she had heard there's this TV show where they divide people by race, and she knew that I watched it. So she sat down with me, and we had she, this really long conversation. She wanted to know what Survivor was and why they would do that and how horrible it was. And and like me as a Survivor fan, I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. I'm this is I've never seen the tribes divided by like like this. So it didn't really phase me that they did it. But to someone who didn't know Survivor, she was just horrified that a TV show would do this. What's well, funny thinking about it in retrospect is because uh mario and mike uh and paul like everyone has really hit hit the ball correctly on this super controversial big made the news made all the water cooler talk talking about you know oh my god survivor is now i a i can't believe it's still on the air and two can you believe what they're doing they're dividing tribes by race and they're having racial wars and 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 People were really sort of up in arms about this. But when you look back at it in, in retrospect, for as much as we don't like Cook Islands this season, I feel like Survivor handled uh, the controversial twist super well. And one of the great things that comes out of this is, okay, they start with 20 castaways. I'm never a big fan of starting with like a million people uh, on the island at one time. But of the 20 castaways, you have five Caucasian people, five African American people, five Asian American people, and five Latino American people off the bat. It's the most diverse cast Survivor has had, and they're going to cast sort of in the same genre for the next couple of seasons at least. So it's like it sort of ushers in an era where most of the people on Survivor are actually not white. Yeah, that's that's a good point. By the way, do you think, if you recall, do you remember Survivor fans being pissed about the racial twist, or was it non-Survivor fans? Like, I'm just trying to think of people I, re- I knew, and it was all people that didn't watch the show that were pissed about it. Like, Survivor fans, I remember, just kind of took it in stride. Like, oh, that's interesting. That's kind of a cool way of dividing the tribes. Yeah, I, I, think, re- just, yeah, I, think, I think the Survivor fans I remember talking to 
are interacting with. We're excited about it. I mean, let's compare it looking back historically. Let's even compare it to a year ago when we saw the extremely whitewashed Guatemala cast. Uh, like Jay said, like on paper, this is a fantastic thing. And I'm all for championing diversity. Granted, I know there were like, you know, people were pissed that Indian Americans weren't included or Native Americans that they had to unfortunately leave a couple off the list. But I mean, I'm, I'm all for including more uh, minority people on the show. With the caveat, if as long as they're interesting, and I think <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that while they didn't definitely increase the uh, the breadth of people represented on Survivor, they were not necessarily the best TV. Yeah, and I think that's that's what we're probably all going to start talking about, and Paul's going to have a hard time defending that. That we're going to go through a stretch here where you really don't care what happens to most of these people. <laughs> it's, they're just not interesting, and unfortunately, that's they probably cast that way. They didn't want to cast people that would be outrageous, like Philip, are going to be so crazy that they're going to bring the race thing. I mean, make it embarrassing. But so they specifically cast people who were very kind of rational and didn't say things that were controversial. And I think once the tribes merge, that becomes a huge detriment because there's really no one interesting saying anything except maybe Penner for a while. There's that, but I also think that. To tell you the truth, I think that the intelligence level in general, just the, the, the raw IQ of the people out there, except for Ozzy, are, <laughs> it was, was very high, to tell you the truth, out of all this. And so I think that you had people that weren't, you know, that, that weren't like controversial television, uh, for one, and then number two are very intelligent. So, you know, Cook Islands is just... It's one of the more rational seasons we have. Like, do people do irrational moves from from the end? Yeah, wait till we get to the mutiny. But like, uh, you know, the people out there were were for the most part very thinking through everything, and were were very sort of hey, let's let's discuss things. And it's not a lot of fireworks. And I'm gonna do whatever I want. And yeehaw, I'm crazy, and all that sort of stuff. So it was very that's that's you know, a good I, I cowboy thought, impression, Jay. <laughs> Well, we're going to get to Cowboy, and I have a lot to say about Cowboy, because in our ongoing things about uh, prototypes or, or archetypes of characters within the seasons, I think Cowboy is sort of, Cowboy is, is in a lot of ways, I think, the, 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 he's going to be the ancestor for a lot of people that are going to follow after him, because he sort of is the, he's the clown of the season, and, and I think that Survivor sort of saw that, and I think that, I think that the producers looked at at Cook Islands and looked at Cowboy and the episodes he was on and said, we need more of that on, on future seasons. And I think that they will do so. So, so there's Cowboy, but I think everybody else was very rational and very, you know, able to talk things out in a nice calm manner, which is great for adulting, but not so great for survivor television. Yeah. So was this cast more or less, less exciting than the Lamina tribe? Like, how does that rank? I mean, well, I guess you have to determine, you have to determine, what, you have to determine where the majority of Cook Islands was, was or was not Smashers overall. Right. How does it rank on the Smasher scale of like Ash, Ashley to Smasher? Like, where do we fall? This is a fucking philosophy class. <laughs> just think on that. Just, just think about that as you move yeah. forward. I do think Jay make a good, good point about this cast being so intelligent because a lot of people don't know that this was filmed before Flicka won her two Nobel Prizes. <laughs> oh boy. Right, that's all I had. <laughs> all right, let's get into the first episode here. Have we said all the preamble? 
Yeah, let's get. So this is interesting because I I also remember besides toting obviously the racial stuff. I believe Survivor was really marketing this whole thing of like we're um, not necessarily back to basics, but like they made an effort to say like okay, we're gonna start just like we started season one and mm-hmm. season seven with the marooning. And so you know, ever ever so many years after Survivor premiered, it was kind of a breath of fresh air to you know get to experience this marooning right at the beginning of the game though of course that air will turn a bit putrid in just a little bit yeah the most twist heavy season of them all starts word for word like borneo and that's a, again it's something <laughs> i hold i hold near and dear to my heart i love the start of cook islands i remember at the time because i know i've seen borneo so many times that i know it like word for word so like the start of this season if you don't realize a lot of new viewers might not realize cook islands the beginning is word for word the same start of as borneo it's such an homage and i love it and it just cracks me up that this quickly becomes the season least like Borneo once we get past that. <laughs> All right, so we get into the start. Uh, yeah, this is right. We go right to the beginning. The whole, the, this is their story. These Americans, it's word for word. And then this is where uh, tw- Jeff tw- drops. Tw- tw- 20, 20 Americans. 20, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're not that much like Borneo. <laughs> yeah. All right, so then Jeff points out. Uh, these, these four tribes must grab, grab the, gather their supplies and then jump off. And he mentions there they're divided by race. And this is where we start getting these confessionals of all the players concerned about, uh-oh, we're on a TV show that's divided by race. And I think if we, do we start start off with Yule? Is he the very first one? No, it's Ozzy. It's well, Ozzy. I, but it's interesting, the four they show here. They show us Ozzy, they show us Yule, they show us Parvati, and they show us Sundra. So with the exception of Parvati getting the interview in, um, instead of Adam, it's everyone else who was the last standing of that tribe who they give us an interview of right off the bat. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting trivia from Paul. And I will say that, like, Yule's first, confession- first confessional is very representative of who he is. And I'm just going to make a blanking statement right off the bat. Yule Kwan is by far the most boring winner we've had thus far <laughs> on Survivor. People, you know, Jeff Probst has gone on to say, like, Aris is the most boring, and people have their thoughts on Danny and Vesepia. But Yule is by far the most milk toast winner we have ever had on Survivor <laughs> thus far. You know, another another neat trivia fact about the season is that the very first person to make a racial joke is not Cowboy. A lot of people are not aware of that. It's actually Billy saying that it's, it's ass backwards because they have a bunch of Latinos now paddling towards an island. And not going to touch that one. Exactly. That, our reaction is how every ethnic joke on this podcast. <laughs> can that, can that be the title? Can that be the title of this part of the podcast? Is not going to touch that one. Yes. So yeah. So which is yeah. which is ironically what Candace said as well. <laughs> <laughs> Although, hey, there is a quick homage we get here where Cecilia tells us that Hispanics work hard and play hard. <laughs> yeah, I caught that Cecilia, too. And, and made me smile. Cecilia yeah. is the Peruvian Zoe. <laughs> I got lots like of, Snickers. I got, I got lots of piranhas to fry up for you. Put in butter. I wonder how she. Uh, I wonder how she dug everyone's um, eyes in presentation. <laughs> yes, and so, so then we get to more uh, awkward Asian humor, where cowboy on the tra- on the raft with all his Asian tribe mates is joking. How does how do all these tiny Asian people weigh so much? And he is immediately met with awkward silence, where they tell him stop making jokes like that. <laughs> Becky, Becky in particular, not a fan of the Asian jokes, and you will also not a fan of the Asian jokes. 
And I, I actually like Cowboy is is an entire discussion of a person. But the thing that I love about Cowboy as a casting choice is that he's like a Vietnamese immigrant slash refugee. And you actually see this in a lot of like Canadian reality TV shows like Big Brother Canada and Amazing Race Canada do this a lot where they bring in like Canadian immigrants, not just Canadian natives. And I feel like it, it definitely like widens the stories that go on over the course of the show. And like between Cowboy and like maybe if you count Ace, we're not really going to get a lot of people born outside the United States on Survivor. So I think this is like one of the only few times that they do this. And I wish they did it more because I think it's like I think it adds a lot of flavor to the cast. And and I, I need a ruling on this one. Are we allowed to repeat people making the ethnic jokes on the show? And then it's not like we're making them, correct? I need to know what the ruling is on this. Because there's a one line coming up where Siku jokes that the black shelter is low-income housing. And I just, for the disclaimer, I did not, I'm not making that joke. I'm repeating Siku saying that. So there you go. So please do not write in. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Anything else awkward we can talk about here? There's a couple other uh, ethnic comments at the start. Uh, what is it? Rebecca points out, you know, we don't just run track. So again, yeah. I'm not making I'm not making that joke. That's Rebecca. Send out uh, Nate, Nate Nate jokes that Sandra is uh, making cornrows when she's weaving the palm fronds. <laughs> the the Hiki is really the ones that like completely buy into like let let's just keep making jokes. In the recap, Seiku's gonna they like fail on getting the boat out on the sea, and Seiku's gonna make a joke that like their people don't do well with boats to begin with. So like they are totally steering into the curve here. They <laughs> Cowboy would fit in well with Hiki. <laughs> I feel like you know. Yeah, the the Hiki tribe makes a lot of jokes with it, and it's it's it, I think it's like this weird double sword going on. Where on the one hand, you know, you can't help but laugh at the situation, right? Like you you sign up, you go through the whole process of getting on a Survivor, you get cast. It's the dream, it's the adventure of a lifetime. You go out there, and they're like, "Well, we're going to do this incredible social experiment where we divide you up." by uh american ethnicities and you know you're just sort of looking at there but but nate says it in, in a confessional and a couple other people sort of say it and they talk about how you know they they almost like they they're carrying they, they want to make sure that their race is being represented well and 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 does a good showing and and which to me it's like Come on, this this is Survivor. You you don't you know I don't think anyone is going to look at you know the first couple episodes of Survivor when they were drawn along ethnic nines and say, well, I think we can now make a blanket statement about millions <laughs> of people uh, in an ethnic group. But but by that same token, I feel like on the one hand they're laughing at the situation, but on the other hand, I do feel like there is some some weight that 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 people must have felt in that situation. Yeah, it's, I can compare it to Borneo in that sense, that the players aren't just thinking about Survivor, they're thinking about something else. There's another layer of kind of strategy in Cook Islands, the first couple episodes. And like Borneo, that was the whole thing. Everyone was so concerned how they were going to be seen on TV, what their portrayal was going to be, how their, how their ethics are going to be called into question. And this is the same thing. It's, there's just a different level going on here in this first episode that you don't see in a lot, a lot of other seasons because you're not just thinking Survivor. Can we talk about the low-income housing for a second, though? Because, I mean, <laughs> Hiki... It's a it's a horrible shelter. Um, we see it for a couple seconds, but from what I remember, I don't think they built a slant to their roof, right? I think they pretty much just built like a basic tent with a flat roof, which is going to be horrible when rain comes in and completely, you know, bears down on the roof and rips it apart. So, I mean, give them we'll credit think- though, Mike. Give them credit. They didn't dig down. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Rob, it's Rafa approved. <laughs> well, Mike, I, I, I it's like I, Rupert shelter. It's Rupert shelter just no digging down mike i think it was an equal to the shelter that the white tribe built and you shouldn't even joke about that 
Oh, boy. I mean, the White Tribe, let's also talk about the fact, and we talked about this a little bit before recording, that, like, the we get confessions from basically the first three tribes here about, like, it's just basically about the twist. This this entire first episode is going to be about the racial divide twist. Raro, on the other hand, the White Tribe, they're just sort of like, oh, this is okay. I don't see any problem with this. <laughs> yeah. Where's the chicken? It's like every season. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. By the way, what... I got to point this out because they say this in the episode, how kind of ridiculous it is that you break it down by Caucasian and then African-American and then the blanket Asian tribe, even though none of them like only uh, Becky and Ewell are both Korean. So it's kind of silly to throw all these together. Oh, it's Asian, even though some of them are incredibly different cultures, like the Vietnamese immigrant, like he has nothing in common with some of the other ones. And then the same thing with the Hispanic tribe. They say the same thing, like we're all from different countries where we don't even like Billy even goes, I don't even consider myself Hispanic. I'm a heavy metal guy. So it's, it's just kind of odd that, you know, that the African-American and the white tribe makes more sense. The other two, the two tribes are very loosely gathered together and it's kind of silly. Well, that's what happens when you try to, cause you know, th- that's the tricky part with, with groups and ethnicities and things like that is that, you know, you say that, you know, people are Asian American, but it's like Asia covers so much, right? So yeah. it's it's hard to sort of do that and in 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 stuff. But you're right. It's it's the uh, is it Jenny that talks about it? I think it's Jenny that that talks about how, you know, she's she's Filipino and and Brad is part Filipino, part Hawaiian and mm-hmm. and and things like that and it's it's an interesting sort of thing as it is, but Raro <laughs> I mean, well, con- yeah, considering that Flicka toasts two whiteies, I think that's a good <laughs> symbol of what Rarotonga thinks of themselves at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, th- there's a lot of, again, like with everything in Survivor, it sort of boils down to who has experience outdoors and who doesn't. And, and you know, you could, you could start to see that, you know, I2 does well off the bat because Ozzy is a pretty good outdoorsman. And it seems like... Uh, Puka also, you know, has some experience with some stuff, but and Raro has some, but I mean, it, it's I feel like Raro and Hiki were just sort of struggling on that first day with not the best shelters, not the best ideas, and then and then you have uh, Flicka who you know decides to you know let the chickens loose, which is awesome. Oh my god! Which also gives us the longest episode title we've ever had on Survivor. Yeah, I I. I don't want to forgive her, but I won't because she screwed with my chickens or something like that. Yeah, it's insanely long. It looks ridiculous when you pull it up on the DVD and it's like a paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, also speaking towards that part, point, Jay, I also think that the Raro stuff is actually much more of a generational gap than it is, you know, more. I mean, an ethnicity thing. Because we talk about, we'll talk about next episode when Jonathan comes back from Exile Island and the younger, basically everyone else there is younger besides him, and they just decided, oh yeah, you know, we we could have improved the floor in our shelter and actually built something, but they didn't. And you see them on the first night just like sleeping on the ground. So maybe that speaks less towards their ethnicity and more towards the fact that uh, the vast majority of them were these like twenty-something jocks and preps, uh, just kind of deciding, oh yeah, survivor, I can sleep on the beach and I'll be fine, no problem. All right, so let's uh, carrying into, into the first episode here. We get a couple subplots that may or may not come up later. We get uh, Candace and Adam starting to flirt on the uh, Raro tribe, and this is where we get. I think Brad has his headache for the first time, and Cowboy is going to pull the bad wind headache out of his head, which I'm sure someone has some jokes about. They love to talk about. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll leave, we'll leave those for Bruce. 
<laughs> Bruce yeah, where was Cow- where, where's Cowboy that season? <laughs> you could have pulled out the bad Bruce, wind. Let me, Bruce, let me just pull on your butt a little bit. Get the bad wind. <laughs> oh, the indicator is very bad on this one. <laughs> All right. Uh, what, are, what are you doing over there? Um, the, I'm the doctor here. I mean, where did you come from? <laughs> he had his hand at my anus. <laughs> He I haven't had my, on my col- anus in 15 years. <laughs> he pulled on my colon. <laughs> Somehow now I, I could actually see Cowboy doing that. <laughs> but like, also accidentally disemboweling Bruce at the same time. <laughs> maybe, we could get, uh, maybe we could get Flicka and Courtney to do a duet. <laughs> wow, I ne- wow, I never even thought of that. Thank you, Paul, for bringing that image to my head. <laughs> yep, you're welcome. Flicka, Flicka is just the worst here, right? Because like, we <laughs> She's clearly horrible. See- they put the chickens under the box when they get there. What is her thoughts when she's going to be like, she, first of all, she's talking about the movie My Friend Flicka, the horse movie. And then she's like, oh, let me check to see that the chickens that I left under the box are still under the box, I guess. And then, but they just sprint out wildly and piss everyone no, d- off. Doesn't she say when uh, Jonathan asked her about that, she said, I haven't seen that flick. <laughs> oh, yeah. I believe that's what she says. Well, I guess the, the chicken's distracted from the pun there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's just point out, just from a comedic point of view, there's very few things that are funnier than watching chickens run because they have no arms. This is the most hilarious little image, just watching them sprint with no arms. Now, almost as funny as watching Amanda run. We will get up to him here, heroes versus villains. Sorry, Paul. Very, very similar running, actually. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> oh, yeah. So this is the first headache, and this is. Again, this is a lot of people wanted me to put Cowboy on the Funny 150, and they all wanted me to do his headache thing where he pulls the head, which, where he pulls the bad wind out of your head and leaves the red mark, which I didn't think it was really worth doing a write-up about, but it is something notable. A lot of people remember it about this season. And again, it's, there's not a lot of levity going on once we get past these first two episodes. So thank goodness at least Cowboy's there. What I love is the, is the fact that it's, it's two parts. What I do love the fact that, like, Brad is, you know, because that's the whole thing is he, you know, you can see what Cowboy is doing sort of at the beginning. He's doing a lot of, you know, show and this with I'm pulling the bad wind out. And you can tell that that's, you know, some sort of old YV ritual that, that, you know, has been around, uh, you know, where Cowboy grew up. But you you can see him like massaging and sort of putting pressure on parts of Brad's sinus. So if he's got a sinus headache, you could see that he's actually probably doing some work to help clear up the sinus issue. And then he gets this indicator thing, which is, you know, where he's basically, if you, if you guys are not watching at home along with us, if you don't remember, he basically like pinches the skin in between Brad's eyes, sort of like at the, almost like where your nose ends and where your forehead is sort of to begin there. And he like pinches it until it's like super red and he calls it the indicator and says, when that goes away, you know, you'll be fully healed and stuff like that. And what what I love about that is that I think Brad was totally with him on like the, the massaging the sinus part and getting all of that going. And then he starts pulling the indicator. Brad's like, "What? What are you doing? What? Why did you do that? What? What is this?" And it's like it's you can see him like really questioning that. And then my second favorite part is that you know he then is going around. And they're all talking about how crazy Cowboy is. And then Brad says, "You know what though? My headache's gone." <laughs> yeah. See, I would, I would like a medical explanation on what is really going on there, because to me it looks like I don't have a headache anymore because now my skin hurts because you pinched it. Like, it's one of those... <laughs> I, think like, I think it's yeah. part of that, too. Yeah, like I have a toothache, so I'll drop a bowling ball on my foot. So now I don't have a toothache anymore, now I have a toeache. That's, how, that's well, to me how, what it looks like. I will say that I have bad sinus problems, and there have been many times where I have tried the cowboy technique, and it actually does work. And well, Paul, you, given, Paul you, li- you live in the Windy City, though, right? I have, yeah, but actually my 
sinuses are pretty good here in uh, in Chicago, so that's kind of ironic. But um, but I've I've had I've I've given myself the indicator, and it actually has worked. So. <laughs> Just picture Paul walking around abusing himself, giving himself an indicator. <laughs> I did it once. I was substitute teaching, and I had a group of fourth graders. We were at a Christmas concert, and they were blasting jingle bells, and I had this killer headache. I thought I was going to die. And in this moment, I'm like, the only thing I can do right now is pull a cowboy and pull the bad wind out of me. And I literally did that for like a while. And it was just gone. It stopped. I've never had something just stop like that before. So it you didn't works. Do, you didn't do that in front of the kids, right? Well, I was head down in the front row, but everyone was focusing on the dancing uh, primary <laughs> students. So yeah. there's Paul in front of the class beating the shit out of himself. It's Mr. <laughs> Oslison to you. Yeah, I feel, I feel like substitute teaching is self abuse enough. <laughs> yeah, it's like that scene in Liar Liar. I'm kicking my own ass. <laughs> yes. All right. So yes, we have Cowboy by far the most interesting of the characters on the first day, and he has a really kind of a, a neat confessional here where he talks about. You know, the other Asians, the other people on his tribe don't like his jokes. They don't like his style. He's like, because I'm old country. Like, I wasn't born in the U.S. They all were. So he's like, they've just kind of lost their identity. They they don't, that's why they don't see the humor in this whole situation. So it's kind of, I think it's an interesting confessional. I think he's right in a sense. I mean, obviously you can't speak for other people why they should or shouldn't be offended at things. But it's an interesting way to look at it. Like, yeah, we're all an Asian tribe, but I have a completely different background than these other four people. And it's, it starts also the storyline of, like, Cowboy, you definitely hit it on the head, Jay, that he definitely is sort of a prototype to these sort of larger-than-life, for lack of a better term, camera hogs that we'll get later on. But he sort of has the opposite trajectory of Coach in that everything that Cowboy does, he usually gets right. And I'm thinking about the Badwin stuff, the fire starting in, like, episode four, I think it is, and Plan Voodoo, which becomes one of the biggest, like, modern season uh, strategies out there. So it's weird that, like, for all of the wackiness and out there stuff that happens, as Yule puts, like, there are nuggets of genius that kind of lies in there. Yeah, he doesn't brag about how a military helicopter flew him out of Vietnam like Coach would have. <laughs> yeah, I get the feeling that Cowboy, he he talks a lot, but I feel like most of his stories, like, even though he is putting on a show and a lot of the stuff he's saying is almost, like, just fluffy bullshit that he's saying to people he you know when he's relating a story of oh i knew this one person or when i was in this one place i believe him that he's been there and he's done those things unlike coach or some other things where it's like i think you're taking some liberties with life but like you're right mike he's he's got all of these good ideas and he's got these things and you know i sort of thought that way too because they give him a confession confessional in this first episode where he talks about how he's different from them and and all that sort of stuff and so on the one hand i'm starting to basically say maybe i'm sympathizing with cowboy and i feel bad for him but then the other hand i'm like what he's basically saying in this confessional is i'm really abrasive and i'm not getting along with everyone because i'm being overly abrasive yeah so screw them yeah like it's their fault because i'm you know difficult to get along with yeah it's one of those things like yeah they weren't really doing him any favors throwing him on this group of people because he's not going to fit in but i'm not entirely sure when he would ever fit in on any tribe he's just too unique his personality is just different than your typical people you'd see on survivor Mm -hmm. it's tough i mean exhibit a is uh it's gonna be in four or five episodes it's where they it's where they go visit the other tribe by accident in the in the thing but just in that scene and and not to spoil that because i'm i know we'll get there and all that sort of stuff but you know you could just see cowboy just doesn't know how to relate to anybody around him not just 
you know, the Asian Americans that are on his original Puka tribe, just anybody out there. Yeah. And it's not even that he doesn't know how to relate. I don't think he cares to relate. Like, he's just, I am who I am. Just accept it. That's who I am. Like, he doesn't yeah, right. even make any effort. C- contrast him to Christina, who, who, you know, near the end of her time is all about, like, give me a second chance. I'll try not to be so abrasive. Cowboy knows he's abrasive and does not give a shit. He's not going to, he's so set in his ways that he's not going to change who he is for any million dollars. Yeah. He's like the Vietnamese Paul. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get up to the first immunity challenge. We've kind of met all the tribes. We get all the particulars. We see that the racial twist is kind of bothering everyone, of course, except the Caucasians who don't really notice anything's different. And then we get to the first challenge. This is where they have to build the puzzle boat, correct? And they have to go out and build all the compass points and climb up a ladder. Yeah, yes. but, oh, man. Look, I mean, Survivor definitely complicates their puzzles nowadays. But, man, this is such an easy puzzle, right? It's like, <laughs> who can put together the letter N first? <laughs> yes. It, I, it, actually, it, uh, I actually, I actually used this puzzle in my first grade. Easy it is. Good job, Paul. Way to go. Way to way to get those first graders in on this puzzle. It's like a, it's like several easy puzzles and some paddling, sort of just all into one. So it's it's like a challenge that has like eighty five parts to it, but they're all really easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, in a season that is overly complicated with twists, it just seems to fit perfectly. Yeah, and yep. this actually these this first bunch of episodes I've been noticing the challenges are extremely simplistic. I'm talking like first five seasons simplistic of like one or two tasks need to be accomplished. I I think people remember this season as the one that started the big trend of like do something physical and then do a solve a puzzle portion. But I feel like that doesn't really come to fruition until like the later pre merge or when the merge hits. Yeah, the, these first couple are are there, but we're starting to see you know and and sort of what gets lost because. I, Mike brought up the point earlier, and I will reiterate it. This first episode, pretty much every confessional that we get from with people is either establishing characters down the road or doing that while talking about the uh, racial twist of the season. And what's funny is that the, a lot of talk about the uh, dividing everyone by race that was so controversial and the big you know, lead to get into the season – you know, sort of goes away almost abruptly, very, very quickly in. But this first episode, it, that's ever all that's being talked about. And what's sort of lost in here is, you know, Cook Islands has this sort of other theme going on, which is, you know, Captain Cook and sort of, you know, the early explorers. And so you have a lot of like shipwreck boat theme sort of stuff going on there, which I actually think is really cool. And I wish they harped on it more. But you can sort of see it here in the sense that they get this boat that's in pieces and then they have these, uh, bracers or these these beams that sort of hold the pieces together and they only go together a certain way so it's like get your boat to the water put the boat together so that it's not going to fall apart and you know raro doesn't really do that right but then paddle your boat out and then when you come back you have to put together puzzle pieces of the compass directions and then you have to you you have to take your boat apart and then take those bracers and use them as ladder rungs and then put the compass points in a thing and go up and light your your uh your walk it's like five seven different steps of stuff that's all pretty basic and then in the middle you have to build the letter n yeah Yeah, it's it's the four compass points build (laughs) n build s build e and build w Woo! by the way i have to mention something you just talked about the the cook islands theme i i wanted to mention this i have a friend named joshua muir from he's from new zealand and he was adamant about the fact that whenever we talk about the season, you should always refer to it as Survivor New Zealand because Cook Islands citizens are technically New Zealand citizens. 
it's I forget the exact relationship, but they're no they're technically New Zealand residents if they live in Cook Island. So he's very adamant that we have to point that out. So I our, our a special shout out to our one New Zealand New Zealand listener. I really wish this season had happened like ten years later because think of the rewards. It could have been like a visit from the flight of the Concords <laughs> or a flight to Hobbiton or like. The other things you do in New Zealand, since those are the only two things I can think of right now. <laughs> and here I was in the last 10 seconds when Mario mentioned that. I was, like, trying to figure out how to get Brit and Jermaine in here. Yes, actually. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're going to call tribal council band meetings. Exactly. All right, let's take attendance. Uh, Jeff, present. Uh, present? <laughs> Why did I get double stuffed? <laughs> oh, that, that's a camera phone. <laughs> That's how All they right. filmed Cook Islands on a camera phone, right? <laughs> yes, Jeff, Jeff has to walk on the outside of them. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we get to the immunity reward challenge. It's overly complicated, even though all the tasks are very simple. And uh, the Puka tribe, the Asian tribe, wins. And I know I should be saying Puka tribe, but not a lot of people in the season identify the tribe names with the ethnicities because they only last for two episodes. So Puka, the Asian tribe, win this one. The Hispanic tribe, the Aitus, the Aitus win are in second place. And then the Raros, the Caucasian tribe, finishes third. And then in the what must have been the biggest nightmare CBS ever had to deal with, uh oh, now our, our African American tribe finished in last. Yeah, though they will get a momentary reprieve here, which is interesting because as Jeff alluded to at the end of Exile Island, Exile Island is back. Uh, but in the first couple episodes, they do this interesting twist where, because I guess it's like dual reward and immunity challenges and they can't do uh, Exile Island in between reward and immunity challenges, they have the losing tribe this time pick someone from the winning tribe to go to Exile Island, which was the exact opposite of the previous season. And I feel probably a little more unfair. Yeah, it's actually not the winning tribe. It's just any of the non-losing tribes. They well, can pick anybody. Winners, yeah, exactly. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we're not going to mention that the black tribe's the one that didn't win. But yeah, they can pick anybody from the, that's not on their tribe. And and yeah. I, I love that the big outburst is when Nate hears that. He's like, that's what I'm talking about, as if that's an equivalent <laughs> to going to tribal council. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Nate gets his revenge that they all vote to send uh, Jonathan Penner, the first person sent to Redemption Island in season 13. Which and, is funny because Nate gets his revenge on sending Jonathan Penner to Exile Island for the sole reason that Jonathan Penner stole Puka's chicken? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he stole the Asian chicken. Yeah, it's, it's like the equivalent of like seeing two guys get in a fist fight on the street and then you come up to one guy and just punch him in the face. And you say, I got my revenge. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Karma's a bizzle. <laughs> I'm going to cut you up like poop. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so so yes, the Asian tribe did not get their chicken, and Penner, because Penner took it, and then Penner lost the chicken anyway. So no one really won except Penner loses, and he is sent to Exile Island. And they and they, he lost they lost the chicken that he stole anyway. So really, nobody yeah. nobody won. <laughs> it's a victimless crime. <laughs> All right, yeah. So so with that, we have our uh, Penner goes to Exile Island. We go to our first uh, tribal council, and it's really the Hiki tribe is. Uh, it really is going to come down to gender. You have three women on the tribe, and you have two men, and it's not going to be much more complicated. I mean, that's what happens when you have gender-imbalanced tribes. It's kind of easy, the first vote, to just gang up on the lesser numbers. Mm-hmm. So, just going back to just Jonathan really quickly, uh, the exile clues, I noticed, this time are in, like, Jeff says, like, here's your first clue, and it's, like, a giant leather-bound book. But it's inside, are, <laughs> in, But inside are, like, 
it's like if like a sixth grader did like a history project on 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 James Cook. Like it's written in like size 128 font with like the typical <laughs> script font that you find on Microsoft Word. Like look for the main letter underneath. <laughs> they couldn't get Comic Sans. Well, it's also like you could see like the glue stick that was done to paste that piece of paper <laughs> in the book. <laughs> like art department, you're usually stellar. Not so much on this one. <laughs> Yeah, they were so busy hiring publicists to cover for the race twist, they forgot to hire an art department. (laughs) So yeah, so the Hiki tribe goes to tribal council, and the first person voted out in the racially charged Cook Island season is Siku. And why why does he get voted out? I kind of forgot why he got voted out, other than than there were three women and only two men. Because he was lazy, was that they were saying? Yeah, and kind of an asshole. Yeah, I'm not going to make lazy lazy jokes. For breaks. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah, they 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 uh, foreshadow it during one of the the camp building things earlier in the episode, where you know everyone's trying to make fire, and 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 Seku has been sort of ordering uh, his tribe around, getting them to do things, and you know he's just sort of standing and pointing, and that's never good when you're you know trying to step up and be a leader, and then people notice that you're not doing any work yourself, and then you know he says we're gonna make fire. And uh, then, like, you see him, and I, it must have been more, because I know editing is editing, but it's really funny, because he's like, let's work on fire, and then he, like, they do the stick rubbing for, like, five seconds, and he's like, whew, oh, that's tiring. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm done. I gotta take a break. Yeah. You can see them all looking like that. But I think my favorite part was actually in this scramble just before Tribal Council, where he, uh, Seiko makes a good uh, argument to, uh, he's talking to Stephanie, because Seku and and Nate have bonded, and he tells her, he says, "Look, you're, you know, yeah, you three women can vote out the two guys, but then you're out because Sundra and Rebecca have formed a tight bond, and you're not part of that bond." Which is actually a pretty decent pitch uh, to Stephanie, if I if I say so. But then what I love is that then he says, "Man." You better not vote me out because if you do, then who's going to make fire and, 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 and who's going to do these things? And Stephanie says, but we don't have fire. You haven't made fire. That's like the best. You know I'm what? I'm so taking a break bad. from this conversation. <laughs> this is tiring. I love, his, I love that his pitch to her is, you better keep me around because if you don't, who's going to make fire? And she's like, you haven't made fire. <laughs> it's like the John Connor Terminator 2 argument. I'm going to, though. Um, I have to. I have you to just give wait. You just wait. <laughs> I have to give Seku some credit, though. At Tribal Council, he does vote for Sandra, and that's part of that. Partly makes me think that, like, somewhere he's making a little subtle hit that he knows one of the arguably greatest players of all time, and he's just trying to <laughs> cast a vote for her wherever he can. <laughs> yes, and so goodbye, Seku. One of the more <laughs> memorable first boots from that era. <laughs> Um, yeah, we do get to see his uh, awesome, you know, songwriting abilities at the finale reunion too, which are, uh, is just about as memorable as his tenure on the show. <laughs> I, I'm surprised uh, when he was playing at the reunion that he didn't stop to take a break in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Survive. Okay. I'm going to take a break. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's nice that in a season that really tried to show its roots by showing, you know, the, the opening of season one in their intro in the, in the intro, that they went back to another typical, you know, uh, tradition in the early seasons of Survivor, the lazy black man edit. So they went for the lazy Siku edit. So another homage to the first season, the Jervis Peterson memorial edit. What, what is sort of unfortunate in all this is this is sort of the, the way it goes for 
uh, Cook Islands and, and as it is, is that they're doing this incredibly uh, controversial social experiment twist to start the game. They're going to divide everybody up by uh, by race uh, and, and, and have the game go. But the problem is, is that they have 20 survivors and not just 20 survivors, but they split up the survivors into four starting tribes. And yes, we did that, you know, with with Panama, with the by age and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, sort of like that, like this episode is only 43 minutes long. It's, it's, it's only a standard episode. And I'm not saying I want more cook islands, but they, because it was only 43 minutes long, they have to edit it as such. And so you just, you're not spending really much time with each tribe. So the camp life, the shelter building, the stuff that I really enjoy in first episodes of seasons you only get a very small glimpse of it. And so the the small time we had with the Hiki tribe, we're spending it, and you do get bits of them not really getting along with Seku, but like, say, how, how much airtime did Seku get in this episode? Like, five, six minutes total out of, you know, the entire thing? It, it, it would be tough. You know, like in Survivor All-Stars, when they had that one challenge, which was name all the first boots? Like... It would be tough to go back to on some of these first boots and, and, and especially to name Seku because it was like, did we even see him in the episode? Yeah. Yeah, Mario doesn't even know how to pronounce his name, so that's a bad sign. That's my racial intolerance. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're pronouncing it like a Pokemon name. <laughs> all right. So uh, what was I going to say? So all in all, you know, I'm not, again, I, I'll say this many times. I don't like Cook Islands. I don't think it's a good season. I don't think this is a bad first episode. I mean, considering all the things they had to work around, the four tribes, the 20 people, I thought the racial twist was handled interestingly. I thought, I thought, I mean, everything in this, I don't think anything was tasteless in the episode. I think it was all handled pretty well. It's, and the season's going to go downhill real fast after about episode, episode two, but I don't think the premiere was weak. Mm, I would I would say that, I mean, comparing this to our other four tribe season, which is Exile Island, I feel like we... I, I can understand, like, obviously the Rachel Twist was the elephant in the room, and they had to really acknowledge that. Um, but, I mean, Exile Island, I remember we got to know a lot of people in that premiere, whereas opposed to Cook Islands, we got to know what... You know, we got to know, like, a little bit about, like, Flicka, Jonathan, a little bit about Cowboy, obviously the Hiki tribe, and then, like, Ozzy and Billy. And then that's it. So there were yeah. there were a lot of red shirts. Again, going back to the Borneo premiere, a lot of under-the-radar people in this first episode. Yeah. Although I should point out the racial twist is already 50% over. We're not going to hang that's on to it for much longer. <laughs> it, it, it's it's that's the thing. I mean, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say that this is a weak episode, Mario, but I wouldn't necessarily call it strong either. It just is an episode of Survivor, and that's sort of my problem with Cook Islands. Like I said, it's not that I necessarily think that Co- I, I don't think Cook Islands is a bad season of Survivor because you know everything is so categorically poor. It's just. It's not great. And if, I, I, if people are like, I think it was a really, really strong, really great first episode of, of a season of Survivor, I would say expect more from a season of Survivor. It just was there. It introduced us to a couple of characters. We had some you know, challenges. The one thing that is cool, like I said, I did like the sort of shipwreck thing. And I think that the place where they have tribal council this season is actually a really cool set. Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's some cool stuff going on here. I think Exile Island is good with the shipwreck. You know, lots of shipwrecks again. Looks like they sort of had one model and sort of copied it a couple times in slightly different variations, but it's a cool model. So they went with it, and that's good. And uh, yeah, 
Rip in yeah, pieces, I think, Seku. I think episode two, as we move into that episode, does a much better job of giving us a chance to get to know everyone. Because like we said, even this first episode, there's not one, you know, Becky and Christina don't get any kind of uh, confessional, which is surprising considering their bubbly personalities. But uh, episode <laughs> I two... Say, <laughs> I bet you Becky was right pissed she didn't get enough time in episode one. <laughs> uh, episode two, we get to know way more of the characters and what's going on um, on these four tribes. Yeah, it's episode two. If people don't remember, this is the famous Billy Loves Candace episode, which a lot of people think of that as being a major subplot. And you'd be surprised if you haven't watched Cook Islands in a while that it really only shows up right at the very end and very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, this a lot of people talked about this episode as being a big standout. I, I would say like what Jay said about the last episode. This one, it's all right. It's nothing special. A lot of people elevate it because of the Billy and Candace stuff. But that's it's a very minor part of the episode. Yeah, considering that we start off here with, like, we get back to, like, Survivor Basics. The first, like, portion of this until the challenge is basically all about camp life, yeah. uh, which, as historians, of course, we're always going to love. You know, Hiki makes fire great. Our African-American tribe is starting to excel from their underdog status. And then we start to catch chickens. This is really really where we get the uh, Christina versus Ozzy storyline. And we start to see that, like, sort of like Rupert when going back and watching Pearl Islands, Ozzy is kind of an asshole. <laughs> he kind of is. That's. I was shocked at how much of a villain edit he gets at the start of the season. Yeah, because people, you know, when he comes back from Micronesia and South Pacific, a lot, specifically Micronesia, a lot of people are like, "Wow, Ozzy really became a villain." But it's not so. I'm, now I'm starting to see that it, it wasn't so much that he became a villain as much as he was kind of always an asshole. But he happened to be found in an underdog position after the yes. mutiny in Cook Island, yes. so he, he became a hero by default. When he's in power, he's an absolute ass. Yeah, he's Boston Rob, basically. No, he's not Boston Rob in, in the slightest. He's okay. his own thing. I don't know. I think the parallels are pretty, because I've been saying that about Boston Rob for years, that I love him when he's an underdog, and the minute he gets into power, he's a complete asshole, and I can't stand him. Well, there's that, but, I mean, Boston Rob at least plays Survivor? <laughs> All right. Okay, get hey, hung up I, on I, the I, details, I, Jay. Ozzy okay, played, yeah. played Survivor in one movie I saw. oh boy soft core jokes um so i mean ozzy you know what's tough here is that he this is the thing what ozzy is good at is ozzy is good at challenges and ozzy is good at uh survival the camp life sort of stuff and you can see him here butting heads with christina about you know how to catch chickens and the thing is is it probably ozzy's idea and he had a good idea with a net in the tunnel and you know thinking about it you're like wow ozzy's got the good idea but again this is ozzy basically being like i'm in charge because i am the provider everyone else needs to get in line and it's it's so funny that we're cook islands is now what the 13th season of survivor and people still sort of have that attitude of, I am the provider, therefore everyone needs to listen to me. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting sort of, and it, what it tells you is it tells you that Ozzy has not bothered to watch any other previous uh, seasons <laughs> of Survivor, which I, I, t- if you're shocked at home, I'm shocked with you. I'm shocked that Ozzy didn't take the time to research Survivor. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little favor for our, our re- re- listeners here. Not a lot of people know the inside jokes on the show. Could you please explain that softcore joke, Mike, to our audience that might not know Ozzy's checkered past so i i don't know when this was revealed uh i'm definitely was revealed after he appeared on the show but i believe sort of like mr heidick uh ozzy had appeared in several mo- videos before coming on survivor it says waiter obviously in his career path but he had a much <laughs> different path uh outside of his application 
Yeah, let's well, let's not jump the gun here. Brian Heideck was a porn star. He was a softcore porn star. Ozzy would be more of a softcore porn character actor. <laughs> so let's he's, not let's not compare them all the way. Oh my god, he's the uh what, he's like the uh I don't know, the Philip Seymour Hoffman of porn. <laughs> That's exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah, but Philip not, Seymour not to Hoffman. be confused with Philip Seymour Hoffman in Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Ozzy had a checkered past that had had a little softcore porn in it for people who aren't aware of that, and it's, it's fun to make jokes about that. Did, did he get involved with Lindsay Lohan after this, at some, at some point after he was on Survivor? I can't remember. Yeah, I it, was, yeah. So. it was later on, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was, again, for people who don't know the history, there were tabloid photos at the time of Ozzy being out at nightclubs with Lindsay Lohan, who is an excellent person to be seen at with nightclubs. Well, he knows his way around a trap, so I think it's all right. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> all right, so a couple things happen at the start of this episode. We get uh, Ewell and Becky are going to make their final two alliance. It's mm-hmm. uh, where basically she sees him as his, her opa, which is Korean for older brother. Which is German, German for grandpa, so... <laughs> Jay, Jay, did, you, did you have a similar, uh, like, squee when you, when you found out that, like, they the referenced Opa after all the genius that we've watched over the past several years? It was, it was a little squee, but, I mean, it's... That's... You have to remember, I grew up in a Korean neighborhood, so not... I mean, it's something I've heard a lot of times is is the the opas and the hyungs and and the the uh, terms for older and younger uh, siblings, but you you can see that there that uh, that was there. But yes, genius reference. Yes, all those years have, beforehand. I do have to point out that this is this one gets the award for the most boring final two alliance scene ever on in the history of recorded Survivor, and which will be matched in about two episodes when the scene where Yule reveals to Becky that he has the hidden idol, which is even more boring. So there we go. <laughs> she says like, "Oh, oh that's come on, awesome. they're full yeah. of they're full of emotion. I yeah. cried, I cried, I still cried." <laughs> Becky, I have the idol. Really, that's great. Cut. No, I, I like. I love this really? episode where Yul says, awesome. Yul says, you know, I really enjoy Becky. I respect the fact that she works in nonprofits. Like, you'll, you, would have, you would have the most boring rationale to make an alliance with somebody because they work in nonprofits. Yes. And again, I'm sure they're wonderful people. Becky does a lot of charity work. Yul has done some outstanding stuff. They're probably fantastic people. But goddamn, if they're not the two most boring people to watch on Survivor. And they're going to make up, like, the vast majority of the important narrative towards the end of the season, which kills me. And so right here, we're going to see one of the flaws in Cook Islands. And again, I'm sure they're wonderful people in real life, but I'm not entirely sure they were meant to be TV stars. Not only that, Yule's, you know, Yule's just an incredible person all the way around. But I, I, I caught that too, Mike. I thought that was so funny when he was just like, I really feel a pull with Becky. You know, she works in nonprofits. So I, I'm thinking that, you know, someone who works uh, so extensively in nonprofits would probably, you know, not be here all thing for the money. And I'm sitting there going like, I, I really want to know if like, <laughs> you know, in his meeting with Becky and he's like, so what do you do for a living? And she's like, I'm a, I'm an investment banker on Wall Street. And he'd be like, Ooh, I do not believe I can trust you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, couldn't even have said something like, and she's hot. At least something interesting about her. Oh, she does nonprofits. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine Bia, Becky's like pro, uh, nonprofit is for like the neo Nazis of America. <laughs> <laughs> it would be the worst nonprofit ever. <laughs> what, what nonprofits do you have in New York City there, Mike? Holy crap. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wide city, Jay. We yeah. got a lot of stuff packed into small square mileage. <laughs> you can see the level of trust they have for people in New York City. That's what he assumes all nonprofits are. They support yeah. the Nazis in some way. <laughs> Fair and balanced. <laughs> <laughs> yes. he, just, he just got done watching Blues Brothers. <laughs> 
<laughs> Illinois Nazis. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so we have Yule and Becky making their incredibly important yet incredibly boring final two alliance. We have Christina telling the story about how she was shot as a police officer and how she wears the bullet around her neck. And this isn't really relevant to anything except for a very hilarious Survivor Sucks reference that's going to come up in about four episodes. So just yes. remember that Christina was shot and it was very traumatic for her. We'll just leave it at that. What I also love, though, is that, you know, after we get the story, which is, you know, very heart, you know, heart, heartfelt and you, know, you can see that Christina really is appreciating things and stuff like that. And then later on, when, when you have Ozzy basically talking about how he hates Christina, um, one of the things is, is well, I don't trust her. First of all, she doesn't know what she's doing on the island. But the other thing, she's a cop. <laughs> she's going to bust like, it. Oh, Ozzy, you, uh. <laughs> I'm guessing softcore porn may not have been the only time he dabbled in those arts. <laughs> the dark arts. Yeah, so Christina reveals the bullet around her neck and she's been shot. And what I was waiting for was an insert from Becky saying, really? That's not awesome. That would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed Christina. Her work with uh, with uh, weaponry uh, is very uh, appealing to me. <laughs> the tactics are stellar. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, these are the important subplots that are coming up here. And then, uh, basically, uh, Penner comes back from, from uh, Exile Island to the, uh, what is it, the exclamation? Who says it? Parvati says Papa Bear's back, which mm-hmm. is quite a little fl- flash forward to a dynamic character in South Pacific Papa Bear. <laughs> <laughs> but Penner is immediately pissed because nobody's done any work on the shelter when he's got when he was gone. So all of a sudden now the the, the Caucasian tribe is now getting the lazy edit where Parvati, Adam and Candace did nothing the entire time. They just lay around to do nothing and this is kind of become their edit for an episode or so. I mean the Rare tribe just kind of sucks and if you take Jonathan out of it like what a sucky bunch of people. Yeah. Well Parvati was the greatest player ever, don't forget that. Oh, I missed that. I guess yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and because every tribe must have one lazy person, now we cut to uh, the Hispanic tribe where Billy is now resting to save energy, and everyone thinks he's lazy. So now this is the theme of this episode. Everyone's got a lazy guy. In defense of this, and I, <laughs> and I will say this because I do like Billy very, very much, but uh, Billy does say he says, "Well, you know, everyone else." He says in a confessional, and you can see that he's saying it, and you know, he's just having fun with it. But he he does say. Hey, you know they're better at getting food and 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 building shelters and doing things. So if they're better at it, I'm just going to let them do it, and then I'll just take what they uh, what they provide for me. And it's like, oh, Billy, you can't <laughs> do that on this yeah. show. And he was a big Survivor fan; like he knew the yeah. show inside and out. You know, which must suck because you know you get out there. I mean, I have no idea how hard the show is, but I can only imagine how difficult it is to go out there. And 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 do it and survive. Be out on on a deserted island and just try to live like that. It, it sounds like my nightmare, honestly. Yeah. And so I, I can't even imagine it in, in any ways. But it's like you can sit there and armchair it all day, you all day and all night, just watch the show and say I would do this and I would do that. And then you get out there and I mean I bet you Billy was probably just sapped for energy. And when you you, you have nothing in the tank, yeah, I you know I I. I would imagine that if, if I were in the same place and someone was else was doing the work and, you know, pulling coconuts from trees and opening them up, I'd be like, hey, thanks for opening this coconut. I'm going to drink it. So, you know, I, I get that whole sort of thing. But it's like as I'm armchairing watching these seasons, it's like, Billy, you can't let everyone do everything and then just say, hey, cool. Thanks for doing all the work, guys. Like that's going to raise flags. 
I have to say one thing, and we're going to talk about it more at the end of this episode more when it comes to Billy. I feel really kind of bad when I watch this episode. Like, it, it looks to me Billy had a really hard time out there. He just doesn't have any, he doesn't smile. He doesn't seem to have any joy. It looks like he's almost having a bit of a breakdown because he doesn't relate to his tribe. He doesn't really know what to do. He's just over his head. And it's just, when we get to the end of the, this episode with the Billy versus Candace stuff, it's one of those things, even though it's funny on the surface, I have a hard time making fun of it like on a really like outrageous level because I feel bad for Billy. It seems like he had a really hard time out there. And you can see it just in his body language already in this episode at the start. Speaking of people that are not fitting in with their tribes, we want to move on to Cowboy's open mic night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, first, Cowboy cures Jenny of a headache. He does the second time, the little indicator, the... Paul Oslison, uh self-abuse. It works. I mean, I, after I, I saw it on Brad and I was like, mm, maybe I'd try that. But after I saw it work twice, then yeah. that was enough for me. All right. So, yeah. So then we get then we cut to, as Mike said, Cowboy's open mic night where he's they're laying in the shelter with the, the Asian tribe. And and Cowboy is just riffing off as off as many Asian jokes as he can. And the tribe is not particularly receptive to this. And I mean, you talked before about how there was almost like for the minority tribes, there was like an additional level where they realized that pe- they were representing a culture. You really get in here. And one of, I think, one of the most meta moments we've seen on Survivor, which is Brad trying to explain to Cowboy that like, you know, we get it, but they don't get it. And they, it's a very obvious reference to the audience. And it's not often that Survivor says, you know, I'm thinking of like when Jonathan Penner approaches Lisa Welchel in Philippines and tells their like, what's the story you want to tell? It's very rare that on camera they have people say like, we understand that there's a TV show and this is an audience. You know, that, that sort of breaks the fourth wall in a way. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those uncomfortable scenes to watch where, I mean, Cowboy is clearly just trying to make conversation and enjoy his experience and everyone else is having none of it. And it's, it's just an awkward thing to watch. And it's, it's just, it's one of those scenes I was like, Ooh, <laughs> it's just a rough one. And I don't know. Do you guys have anything, anything more to say about this one? I'm just well, curious what you guys think about it. Well, and it's, it's the whole reaction thing where cowboy he's cowboy is not necessarily thinking that he's doing anything wrong by, you know, saying all of these sort of uh, racist jokes towards, you know, Asian American stereotype sort of stuff. And it's like the rest of the tribe is saying, stop, don't do it. Please don't. And they're giving him reasons why not. And it's like, even if he doesn't necessarily agree with them, socially in Survivor, especially in Survivor, what you should say at that point is, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't take your point of view. I, I will consider that and I will stop. I'm sorry. Instead, Cowboy just basically says, ah, whatever, you're all lame. <laughs> so it's kind of like watching a lot of debates on the internet in the year 2015, basically. Yeah, oh yeah. Yep. People saying offensive stuff and everyone getting offended and then it just getting awkward. Yeah, I want to. I want to see Cowboy on Reddit now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's on there daily. <laughs> yes, it's like, uh, what's his subboard? He'd be on uh, the Vietnamese dog joke subboard. <laughs> it's a thriving subboard. <laughs> By the way, the one, the one, the worst part of this whole scene is you know Cowboy's telling the jokes and they cut him off before he can get to the punchline. So. To this day, I still don't know what you call a Vietnamese with three dogs. So I feel like they were kind of left me hanging in this scene. I'm sure it's something like breakfast, lunch, and dinner or something. <laughs> All right, I will never know. That's the thing. It could have been something very profound. There's a 50-50 chance that Cowboy wouldn't have finished the joke anyway. <laughs> you know, like they, they cut, the rest of his tribe cut him off because they were trying to tell him to stop telling jokes. But, you know, with Cowboy, there's just a chance of he sets up the joke and then he'll just go off on another story. 
Could be. So maybe they ruined another story. They'll yeah, never know. That's true. Yeah. All right. So just to uh, pile on Billy hatred, aside from him being lazy and people not liking him, now there's a scene where he snores and nobody can sleep when he's around. So let's just pile on Billy some more in this episode. And it's just, I don't know. It, it's like you can see that Billy is not pulling his weight around camp and that Billy is snoring. Like you can see the fact that that would outcast him from the rest of the tribe. But just the way Ozzy handles all of that is just so grating to me. Like he's just like, I can't believe this guy. Get a load of this guy. And then it's just like, well, clearly we all can't sleep because he's snoring. And it's like, you, oh, you can't? Oh, I'm so sorry, your majesty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. If, yeah. You know, Ozzy definitely hasn't watched a lot of Survivor when he says, oh, great. This guy's keeping us up with this snoring. Let's throw the challenge. Just to exactly. Get exactly. What I was going to say like, the, yeah, that's the smart way to solve this kind of problem in Survivor is you have such a huge tribe with so much, you know, so much wiggle room. Let's let's throw a challenge to get rid of the guy who snores. Yeah, and I well, we definitely have talked about Ozzy the asshole here. I feel like we have not talked nearly enough about JP the douche nozzle. Uh, and this is he's going to come out a little bit near the end of this episode when I would say it, I would say maybe if we're going by behind the scenes information, I feel like JP might have been more behind this than Ozzy was because JP apparently cannot stand Billy. So yeah. I would assume he'd be the one to like throw out the idea of like, no, let's just get rid of Billy right now. I want to get rid of him. I don't want to see him anymore. Well, okay, that leads to an interesting question. If JP was really the one behind this, why did they show it as an Ozzy's thing? Because clearly Ozzy takes a huge hit as a character. He looks like a total dick. Is that just because they're trying to justify why he might lose at the end over Yule? If, if that's the case, I mean, I would just say it just pops Ozzy more as a character uh, t- since he'll be our eventual runner-up, as opposed to someone like JP, who will be gone in two episodes. And I mean, Ozzy has some great character building in the beginning of the episode, since he's like he's sort of the de facto leader. It's almost like if we're comparing like Amy and Leanne in Vanuatu, where mm-hmm. like Leanne was probably more of the leader, but Amy was much more of a mouthpiece, or, or much more of like a better character represent- representative of that alliance. So if I had to come up with this sort of you know, explanation behind this harebrained theory of mine, it would be that maybe because Ozzy was a bigger character in the spectrum of the season and because he sort of had this preconceived character basis of being the big leader on i2 to begin with, they thought, oh, let's hand this storyline off to him. Yeah, it could be, except then you have to factor in that JP becomes a huge douche nozzle in about two episodes. So it's like yeah, they could have started it here. Yeah, they could have. But do you really want to, A, do you want to devote all that much time to JP who's going to be gone in a couple of episodes? And B, this is this is it for the the I two tribe. We're gonna we're gonna swap things up in the next episode. Spoiler alert! So like, you this is a chance to just establish and give Ozzy some sort of character, not only just some sort of character. Establish him as somebody that people are listening to around camp. Yeah, I can see that. All right, so they uh, they have decided to throw the challenge to get rid of Billy, and. Uh, we are now going to head right to the again, because all these challenges in these early episodes are combined reward and immunity. We're going to go to the reward slash immunity challenge in episode two. And this is one where they have to answer a bunch of questions about Captain Cook, who the Cook Islands are named after, and then cross a rope bridge and do these uh, answer plaques. And it's not a particularly interesting challenge, and you wouldn't care one bit about it except for the, the throwing to get rid of Billy thing. That's really the only thing that happens in this challenge that's interesting. Well, at least they had a heart, and they're like, well, we don't want to sit Billy out and throw the challenge. We'll throw him in there and, you know, <laughs> make him suck at the challenge and make him feel even worse. Yeah, that was that was interesting to me because you saw that as well when they were like, let's sit someone out, and Billy's like, oh, dude, I should sit out. I'm the one that should sit out. And they're like, no, you shouldn't. And it was like, 
You're throwing the challenge anyway. It doesn't matter, but they <laughs> even had to overrule Billy on that. <laughs> we'll do it ethically. Yeah, and, and as much of a performer as Ozzy has shown in his uh, previous exploits, I, too, completely shows their hand here to the point of where, like, <laughs> at, at, at every point in the challenge where they set up something to say, like, well, you could do this, but it might take more time, I, too, is going to do that. <laughs> By the way, the... the the story that they have to read, I don't know if you remember this, is all about Captain Cook and how he goes to Hawaii and then he ends up dying in Hawaii. And uh, you guys are aware, Jay would know, Jay's a history teacher, Captain Cook's history, why he was killed by the Hawaiians and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just interesting for people who don't realize that. What happens is Captain Cook goes to Hawaii and his last words are, he was asking the chief, what do you call a Hawaiian with three dogs? And they killed him. <laughs> we ne- <laughs> we'll never find out. Yeah, we'll never know. Sorry, I had to go a long way for that joke, but I thought it was worth you it. Did. You did. You <laughs> did. Appreciate the effort. I didn't know where you were going, which is why I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't know that you were going the, the complete joke path. But, you know, sure, why not? Yeah, um, I couldn't. I looked up Hawaiian jokes on the Internet, ethnic, uh, offensive Hawaiian jokes, and there are none on the Internet. So I, I was trying to fit one in there, but I could not figure one out. So Well, to be fair, I, be- I believe a volcano took out all the Hawaiian joke tellers, so there's really not much available. <laughs> Yes. All right. So, yes, yeah, so we get to this challenge, and uh, the Asian tribe wins. The white tribe is right after them. And then we have a little review where they ended up tying. So, it's kind of an interesting thing. But, and then the, the black tribe finishes third. And then the uh, Hispanic tribe, Ozzy's tribe, throwing it comes in way back and forth, which the producers were probably <laughs> very happy. I'm not sure I should joke about this, but I'm sure the producers were thrilled to death that the black tribe did not finish last in the second straight challenge. <laughs> So just look at it from a production point of view. They're like, thank you for throwing that challenge, Ozzy. <laughs> because they were not doing well. I'm going no, they to... barely squeaked that one out. <laughs> I'm going to make a controversial uh, stance here and say that I don't necessarily think it was a terrible thing that they threw the challenge. Yeah, I mean, what? you could make arguments pro or for or con. Yeah, I, I want to hear, I like hearing support Paul. Support your argument, please. Yeah. Please support your argument. And raise well, your hand. <laughs> raise my hand. I mean, I honestly think that that getting rid of Billy in the long run probably isn't bad for I2 because I2 has shown in the previous challenges that they run, that they do well in said challenges. And so it, to me, if the tribe, you know, I, I believe that, you know, to, you know, if, if, if getting rid of Billy is going to set Ozzy and JP and, and uh, Cecilia and Christina you know, a, a more horm- harmonious camp. They clearly have the strength to do it. I think it's an okay move to do. I don't think that this totally screws them over. Had, you know, they continued to have four tribes past this episode. I don't necessarily think it was the most terrible thing in the world for them. You know, it's, I just impress- think it's dumb. If you have one extra person, then when you do accidentally lose a challenge, you have someone to get rid of. And is he really that they're just getting annoyed with him. It's not that he's like causing all this bad, bad harmony. I don't, I don't know, Jay. I was just, just going to say it was impressive that Jay reeled off all five members of the I2 tribe. 98% of Survivor fans could not do that off the top of their head. <laughs> so why well you done. pay me the big bucks. <laughs> exactly. My counter-argument to that, Paul, is, is that in a four-tribe four setting like this, you don't even have to win. You just have to be first, second, or third. And I feel like with the ineptness of, of Hiki so far and of Raro especially... You know, uh, Puka has been doing very, very well on these challenges. So, obviously, and, and, and you're right, Paul, it does hurt. I'm not saying it's the best move that they've made. I'm not saying that I would necessarily do it all the time. I'm just saying that 
when Jeff Probst says, you know, hey, you should never throw a tribe ever. You should never throw a tribe on Survivor. That's also the same thing as you should always do big moves. It's like there are times when I think that throwing is actually something that you should consider. Uh, maybe not something that you should do all the time. And I think that in this setting with with the tribes where you just have to finish first, second, or third on these sorts of things, I think that there is a little bit of leeway if you wanted to do that. All right, so after the challenge throw, that's the, kind of the interesting thing here, One thing I wanted to bring up was that so many people remember the important thing that comes out of this challenge throw is that Billy gets voted out, but that's not actually the important thing. What happens is the, by throwing this challenge, the I2 tribe effectively uh, lays out how the rest of the season is going to go because they people forget this is where they decide to send Ewell to Exile Island. As a losing tribe, they get to decide yeah. who goes. They send Ewell. So basically, by throwing the challenge, they just handed Ewell the idol, and it's basically GG everybody else once that happens. <laughs> so this is really the end of the season. And it's all because of a throne challenge. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of that. And then, that's actually... That's actually really good i didn't i didn't even really think of that but you're right they send yule here and yule gets the idol the god idol yeah and that's it gg <laughs> yeah though no though then then comes the moment that everyone remembers is where you know the the poor i2 tribe is all defeated and billy's standing there at the end he knows they threw the challenge to get rid of him he's he's hurt he's uh probably embarrassed he knows he's toast he's a big survivor fan he's gonna get voted out second and you know, he he's somehow standing next to Candace on the Raro tribe, and somehow they end up talking to each other, and she's like, you know, I feel really bad for you guys, and this is where Billy says, I'm next, you know, and, and, and Candace, just trying to be a nice person, again, a lot of people don't even remember the details on why this happened, Candace, all she says is, well, we love you, and that's just, she's trying to cheer up a guy who looks like he's totally down, and Billy, because of he's in a fragile mental state at the moment, takes this as a declaration of love, and he's like, I love you. And this is this is going to come back later in Tribal Council, but really all it is is a misunderstanding because Candace is trying to be nice. And that's what a lot of people don't know, even if they haven't seen this in a while. That She actually does say something, but he misinterprets it. That's the thing. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Thank I you. don't that's, know that's what else to say. Again, there's, not, there's not much to like glom off of this, this exchange. It's going to, as you said, become much more of a huge thing as we get to Tribal Council. Yep. All right, so we go back to the I2 tribe, and Christina's mad that Oscar threw the challenge. I always forgot that she calls him Oscar. That yeah, it's Oscar. Like, a, it's like Coach and Benjamin, basically, where <laughs> if there's one person that just, I think, refuses to call him Ozzy. <laughs> it's like the Black Swan. That's the evil version. Oscar's the evil Ozzy. Oh, now I just, uh, now I just imagine two versions of Ozzy scissoring each other in a bedroom. <laughs> Spoiler alert for Black Swan, by the way. Yeah, there actually is a movie, I think, out there where he does that in a movie, so you have to track <laughs> it down. While holding the Hawaiian sling, <laughs> yes. All right, so uh, so and then then we go to Exile Island, and this is where Ewell finds the clue. He, he gets the clue, he finds the idol, and it says, "Oh, this idol you can play at any time. It's good through the final four. So basically, Ewell, you are going to be in the final three. Is basically what that idol says. Something that pisses me off about this, many things do, but something that pisses me off about this is okay. Exile Island's not the biggest island on planet Earth. I get that. But it's big enough. And I get that the clue narrows it down, but it's like Yule basically got like two clues. Mm-hmm. And you can just see him digging like a gigantic trench sort of in the middle of the island. And he <laughs> finds the idol like, oh, my God, I really wanted more of a journey on Yule finding this idol because it just seems like, you know, yeah, OK, he read the clues and he interpreted the clues and he found the general area that the idol was. I understand that fact, but it's like it's not like he was 
you know, 10 paces off of a tree or something like that. It's literally just the middle of the sand in the middle of the, uh, of the thing. And he just is digging. He's like, whoop, looks like I have found the idol. My stars. And it's like, oh my goodness. Well, I want more story here, but we get none. We just, all of a sudden, Yule is like, hmm, there is an idol on this island. I must procure it. Hey. And then, you know, you get a shot later with him have, having have dug some sort of trench. And then just says, oh, well, look. Here is the idol. <laughs> to be fair, Dan, Dan Kay from Gabon would have never found that idol. <laughs> oh, what's funny is I've, I've been watching Redemption Island for my Funny 115 research lately, and there's a running subplot in Redemption Island, which I find hilarious, is that Rob keeps finding clues, but they're all the most vague clues possible. And Rob even jokes about it, that the clue is basically, the idol is somewhere. And the next the clue is like, the idol is not nowhere. And he's just laughing at how big they are. And you contrast that to Cook Islands, where Penner almost finds it off the first clue, and then Ewell finds it almost immediately with the second clue. So it's just funny how easy it was. And I do, I do have to say, though, I agree, Jay, that the, the method of finding it is very anticlimactic. That being said, compass, much better than giant shrunken head in terms of idol <laughs> construction. Yeah. And did, did Ewell really say, my stars? Did he morph into a southern bell all of a sudden? <laughs> my yule impression is just only going to get better with the things that are going to be said by yule that's all 50s southern female that's yule now tell me mr idol what is your non-profit work like i think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship all right so back at i2 we have uh, a guaranteed vote against billy but then uh christina decides she's going to do something about this because she doesn't like that the evil oscar did this to poor billy so they'll try to pull in cecilia and again People may think I'm making up characters. There was a player named Cecilia on a Cook Island, I swear to God. <laughs> they pull in this Cecilia girl, and they try to turn the vote against Billy, and it just doesn't happen. We go to tribal council, and Billy's dead meat, and this is where <laughs> I had fun with it on the Funny 115. But again, I have to reiterate, I, I really hesitated to make fun of this. I didn't want to write about it, because I feel bad for Billy, and I know he was very sensitive about it. When I wrote an entry about him, he even kind of thanked me afterwards for the way I wrote it, because I didn't like just totally bag on him for being an idiot. So, like, if that's the thing with you have to remember these people, they went through some very delicate emotions and some harsh things going on. And Billy, legitimately, in the state of mind he was in, thought Candace loved him. And I guess he was latching on to this one little life preserver of someone being civil to him. And, and so it comes up at tribal council where Billy says, Well, you know, my prize wasn't a million dollars out here. My, my prize was I fell in love. I fell in love with Candace. And the what the fuck face that Probst gives him is the one of the best UTF faces I've ever seen from Jeff Probst. Oh my god, it's a legitimate double take. Yeah, I mean, his, re- his his response is Candace from Raro Tribe or Roro Tribe. Yeah. Roro Tribe. Oh, the one that hangs with poverty. Yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> Pretty sure and Jeff Probst had a mean case of cotton mouth that entire time out there on the Cook yeah. Islands. Yeah, dry mouth like Philip. Yeah, exactly. You fell in love with Frankequa. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, and, and I think Billy says it was a rapport thing, and nobody has any clue what the hell he's talking about. And again, yeah, it seems all logical to Billy. Yeah, and I think they go to is it JP? Where they're like, JP, do you know this or no? Is it Ozzy? One of the two, and they're like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah J- JP calls JP calls it random, <laughs> like flat out. <laughs> like, well, that's random. <laughs> Yeah, and this again, this is one of those things I'm sure you guys have endless hours of material lined up for this one. But uh, are you uncomfortable by this by this moment like I am? To me, I always rank this one with like Eric and Micronesia when they take the idol from him where everyone laughs at it, but I find it kind of sad and uncomfortable to make fun of it. But uh, do you guys feel the same way about this one or am I completely off? 
it's it's tough for me it's one of those things where like i think you can remove yourself from the situation a lot more considering that like Candace has come back with her husband i think she's past billy and she's definitely past adam at this point but i do agree with you that like looking back on this at the time i was laughing my ass off about it uh specifically like the reactions from probes and the rest of i2 bursting out laughing was great to watch great television but like i agree with you mario i mean looking back on the emotional quality of it you have to feel horrible for this guy billy who's just kind of been thrown through the ringer for the past like week out on the island something that he dreamed of doing only to find out that like his game was basically over in the first few days and that they the the tribe hated him so much that they threw a challenge to get rid of him like that must be a horribly devastating feeling and then add to that that people are openly mocking and laughing at him at tribal council it's just I, i i agree i feel horrible for him it doesn't it might not make it makes the reactions are still funny to me but i guess the emotional quality of the material um definitely brings things down yeah and again when i wrote about it that's how i how i was able to resonate or uh to deal with that is that I just basically made wrote my entry around Jeff's reaction to it. Okay, well that's funny. You can't really say that's mean spirited, but if you think about it too much and just bag on Billy all the time, it's it's really kind of cruel. This is one of those moments I don't like making fun of that much. That's what's funny you about just, the moment to me is oh go ahead, Paul. No, I was just gonna say just like the whole like situation is just sucky because it's like you like are probably on the side of of like Cecilia and Christina who realize that these guys are being mean to him, but they can't do anything about it because they like know that it's better for the tribe for him to go. But then this, this moment happens. So you want to like laugh, you know, at Billy, but then that puts you on the side of Ozzy and JP. So I, I'm in the same boat, Mario. It's kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. That, that, that I was just going to say the, the only thing that, that struck me funny watching, cause I watched this episode uh, today uh, in preparation for this podcast. And the the part that's funny is Jeff Probst's face, and it's not only because it's the genuine double take, but also because you know Probst has been watching all you know. You know Probst is watching dailies of the footage of of camp stuff, and you know he's doing his research on everyone. So it's like when he comes into tribal council, he's ready to fire off these questions, and it's like I you know you could tell he genuinely did not catch whatever this was <laughs> that was going on uh, in Billy's mind on this, and so it's like it's fun to see just the genuine shock, like. That that Probst was taken by surprise about something, which I think is uh, is fun. Yeah. The other thing that struck me when I was watching it today was why did they include that in the episode? There was no reason to include that. I mean, it's it's uh, this kind of gets into a bigger argument I have where Survivor kind of started to get a little trashy around this time in the in the in the in the evolution of the show where a lot of the times people were edited to be like, ha ha, look at that guy. Let's laugh at him. And it'll really reach a peak in Micronesia in a couple seasons where you just, they just absolutely want you to laugh at these players. And it's really kind of trashy. And that's one of these things I always notice when I see this episode, why did that moment even need to be in the episode? Cause it adds nothing. It only comes up one uh, uh, an episode later, just as the punchline to it where Candace doesn't know what he's talking about. But it was one of these, it didn't need to be there. It only exists to kind of make Billy look stupid. And I, I always kind of feel bad that, it's it's reached such a point in the Survivor fan base where people openly just mock this and laugh about it so much. And I always think it's one of the things where Survivor started to get kind of trashy about it. And I, I think it made the fan base look bad. I mean, it's just it's such a unique situation that I feel like the producers had to put it in there. I mean, especially going off of like Rob and Amber, you would say to a certain extent, Greg and Jen. But like this has never happened on Survivor before. Will never happen again that somebody has unrequited love at first sight at someone a week into the game. So I feel like they, they felt like they had captured lightning in a bottle and had to use it. I mean, you, you might say, I, I don't know if I'd go far to call it like 
trashy as much as it's definitely putting somebody down. Uh, but I think the producers like couldn't not release that footage because they just it was just too good of a story to keep behind the scenes. Yeah. And one thing I, I, I remember this, I'm, I'm kind of hazy on this because this is right around where I started to check out a little on Survivor. But if I recall, they hyped this moment really big in the previous for this episode, like a tribal council with a, something that happens you will not believe. Like they, they really built this whole episode around this moment. If I recall, Paul, you might remember that better. Do you yeah, remember the to- promos? Um, no, I don't. Oh, wow. I actually stumped Paul. See, I yeah, could be off on this. But I, I swear I remember they built the entire episode around this little moment. And again, to this day, people think this was a huge moment in the season. And it's only like literally the last 90 seconds of the episode. It's really quick. So it's just, just one of those things that was – they just the producers were so big on this moment at the time, they really kind of hyped it. All right. And so we are about to lose Billy – and we are about to start one of the most steady declines in a season you are ever going to see now. Yeah, this no, is it's the- inter- <laughs> interesting to say, though, that the fir- this is the first time ever that the first two boots from a season were both men. And it's the last time it will happen until, like, season 28, you know, over seven or eight years later. So, in Damn terms of, you like, temp stealing my thunder and my trivia. Get the <laughs> hell off this show. I read it off a Pringle. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> no eating on the podcast, kids. This the next, a, the next Pringle this? answer is Rupert. <laughs> Half of them are Rupert. <laughs> this is also a travesty that we will lose the great player Cecilia. I know. <laughs> I, I, this moment just—I don't know why this moment didn't come to me before, but I'll say it just because we're entering this episode. I remember one time, so I, I watched the show with my brother. And he's like—I mean, he like knows a lot of the older seasons better than the newer seasons because he doesn't do a lot of rewatching. But I remember we we rewatched Cook Islands a couple years after it aired. And he goes, who the hell is she? And I'm trying to like, like, you know, like jog his memory. And my brother just, he comes up with the weirdest things. But he says, he's like, Cecilia, <laughs> he said, Cecilia is about as interesting as the last dump I took. From now on, I'm just going to say, if I have to go to the bathroom, I'm going to go take a Cecilia. <laughs> so <laughs> every time I see Cecilia, I think about... Yeah, that you could say so, you could say you're, you're, you could think about your brother dump. taking a shit. Yeah, <laughs> so I just want to add that to maybe make her a more memorable character for everyone else because that's really actually helped her for me. <laughs> I was really going to say going into this it. podcast, yeah, I didn't know much about the Oslison house bathroom habits, and now I know a hundred percent more of how that works in their house. So I'm glad I to know. know. I feel like that really takes the Ashby line to a new level. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's too bad that we actually named Cecilia prior to this, because I could have thrown out four names. I could say the third boot was pick from four names, and most of our listeners would have no idea which one is the correct answer. <laughs> so unfortunately, we tipped our hand by saying her name is Cecilia. I'm still going along with the theory that Cecilia was a rogue camera woman that Christina went up to in episode two, and they decided, okay, I guess you're part of the tribe now. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but yeah, again, to, to take this serious, we're going we're gonna to go through a stretch now where we're going to see lots of characters we don't care about. Their dreams are going to be crushed, and we're going to see every agonizing minute of it along the way, even though we won't care. And that's the problem with the season. It's from, what, from episodes three through about six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. There's just a big stretch here and nothing. And that's, that is the big problem with the season. We're going to check out real fast here. And that's, that's, why, that's why this season doesn't resonate with me very much. Is It's not just, oh, boring people are getting voted out, but it's just the fact that 
there are some people that go back and watch the season and all they're doing is just listening for uh, a strategy talk or basically people saying, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to get people on my side with this. But even in modern Survivor, where there's a lot of talk about strategy and split votes, they take some time to sort of make you care about some of the characters. And it's like, I feel like in Cook Islands, they want you to care about Yule. They want you to care about Ozzy. They want you to care about Sundra. They want you to care about... Jonathan Penner, they want you to care about a small handful of characters, but we started with 20, and right now we're at 18, and when we're only supposed to care about a small handful, that leaves literally a dozen people that we're not supposed to care about. Yeah. And it's a, it's a problem. It's a problem in these opening episodes. I do want to say, just slightly going back to episode two, but let's please go into episode three. There is some clever foreshadowing, and I'm going to give Cook Islands a tiny bit of credit here. There's some clever foreshadowing, and it usually involves Sundra, and that's what makes me laugh really hard. Uh, in episode one, uh, the first challenge, the three winning tribes all got Flint and Steel as part of the reward of winning. And then the Hiki tribe gets Flint and Steel for going to tribal council for the first time. And they start out episode two, the first Camp Life shots is of the Hiki tribe trying to make fire. And they've got Sundra and Rebecca and... Uh, some of the people of the Hiki tribe trying to make fire and struggling for so long, even with the flint to make fire. Remember that kids, this is a theme <laughs> for the rest of the season. That's a good point. I did not catch that. I like that. So, so anyway, episode, going into three. Yeah. yeah so okay. Is, I'm going to make a reference here <clears throat> to me. This is the 30 minutes. See the next six episodes are the 30 minutes of return of the Jedi where Yoda is going to die and you're waiting for him to die. And it takes a long time. This is the Return of the Jedi Yoda death scene, the next six, six episodes. It's a good Return of the Jedi reference because I believe Cowboy is the closest thing we've seen to an Ewok on this show so far. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. uh, what happens is is that they uh, uh, the four tribes get to the next challenge sort of thing, and uh, Jeff says, all right, he gets the, the idol back, and the idol is something that divides into three parts, and he puts it all together and says, all right, everyone, Drop your buffs. We're going to swap tribes. And then we get the most complex swapping of tribes we ever get in our <laughs> oh lives. Yeah. And as, as this is happening, I want to let you all know that we are going to have two new tribes and we're going to formally abolish Manihiki tribe and Puka Puka tribe. You didn't even know those are the tribe names. Yeah. Laziest episode or laziest season ever when it comes with the fact that they, they made these cool sets and these cool shipwreck sets and you could tell they didn't even like the names of the tribes. They were like, Manny Hiki, no, that's too, just call him Hiki. <laughs> yeah. They'd even put the names of the tribes in quotes. In quotes. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of like, like the, the, the former federal agent of its time. Yes, yeah, so, but, 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 but when I saw those quotes, I always read them to be like sarcastic, like, yeah, oh, like, Hiki. tribe. Because yeah. <laughs> we can't just call them the Asians. Uh, a couple a couple of things before we get to the integration, though. Uh, there is, a, again, another cowboy scene where he's moved on from telling r- racist jokes. So now he's going to move on to the always uh, delicate topic of talking about the war. <laughs> he's, he's talking about, like, well, you guys are probably going to get drafted no matter what, even yeah. if you're in college. <laughs> How it's fools that Asian families think their kids are going to go to college or something like yeah. that. And then there's a, there's a, just another little fun going back to I know Mario you're talking about like Survivor sucks memes. There was another one here where uh, it's a morning challenge. So Jonathan has this weird little moment where he gets warmed up by doing this yoga pose where he's on all fours and he just starts rotating his head all around. And so yeah. Survivor sucks had a, a field day with just taking that gif and like putting it everywhere and anywhere. He actually is, learned that pose from an Aussie softcore porn movie. Oh God! Actually, though, 
Mike, you've been in plays and productions. You've been in musicals. You know, warm-ups for musicals on stage look a lot like that. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll see it later on. He does, he does, he warms up a lot like that, which is like, definitely, I, I'm not discrediting uh, the validity of it. It's just odd that they like randomly are like, okay, yeah. this is Jonathan's getting ready pose. He is on all fours, just basically <laughs> looks like he is motorboating someone, uh, yeah. motorboating an invisible <laughs> woman. Which is funny because that's hilarious and also when i saw it i was like oh the guy's done theater which I, yep. is weird i guess well he is an actor so makes sense. yeah that's what i'm saying like and i and i forget that about jonathan penner but like i saw that and i was like oh that's 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 probably theater warm-ups that that he's done before all right so yeah we get to the reward challenge and then twist and jay is absolutely correct this is one of the most convoluted twists in the history of survivor where i had to write down i had to literally take notes and write down who was on each tribe because i was going to forget because there's like six six different steps to this twist. So basically what happens is he tells them all to drop their buffs, and then he separates everyone by men and women, first of all, in a line. Then he makes them all pull a tile. So we've got the, first of all, men to women, men, men, men and women. Then they have to pull a tile, and when they get the tile, basically two women and two men have pulled out a tile that is that has an X on it. So then these two men and these two women become captains. So they go to another mat where the women first do rock, paper, scissors and basically have to pick women, but they have to pick women in an order of it's a schoolyard pick. But the rules are is that you can pick a woman that was not from your former tribe. And then when you pick the next woman, then you the, your next pick of a woman has to be from someone who isn't on the tribe of you or the person that you picked previously. So basically you have to divide the four tribes as evenly as you can. And then the men have to do the same thing. And then once they've done that, so we've got a tribe of women that were equally distributed of the four and another tribe of women equally distributed of the four, men and men, then the four captains had to then squish the egg with paint in their hands and then two of them were one of the women tribes and one of the men tribes were red and one of the men tribes and one of the women tribes were blue. So we have a new I2 tribe and a new Raro tribe. It's literally splitting up the tribes as evenly from the four tribes as you can in a segment that took nine minutes. Yeah. Let me point out one thing. We're halfway through the twist. We're only halfway. Uh, Keep going, Jay. Keep going. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I can't continue. So is that what is that what was printed in the rest of that big book that Jonathan got on Exile Island? Was he just never got to it? Well, my favorite part of it is that you knew right away the issue of race had just gone away as soon as you had Flicka saying, "I'll pick the sister on the end." Oh my god! Again, this sister is the with the that's, braids. I think she says again the person that said Sundra's face watches. says it all. Yes, she's like okay. Sundra's like. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, then you've got to remember when Ewell picks Ozzy, it's, I like him because I know he does a lot of nonprofit charity work. He looks like a fine, <laughs> fine, fine, fine chap. <laughs> the man who is a good contribution to society. Yes, and soft poor, softcore porn. <laughs> yeah, so we have all these two tribes. We have a tribe of men, a tribe of women, or two tribes of men, two tribes of women, and then they have to do the the... You remember it from South Pacific more where you have to grab the eggs and they squish the egg to see which color their tribe is. This is the first time I believe it happened. Paul, is that correct? Uh, correct. The squishing of the eggs. Yeah, so Brad, Penner, Parvati, and Cecilia. Uh, again, Cecilia was a real player in Cook Islands. <clears throat> they, all, they all grab eggs. Again. Sorry, I got not- out of the bathroom. One second. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just heard Cecilia. Is it like a, a Pavlov's dog? Now I was going to say, say do you have like a, a condition Please don't response. say her name. Please don't say her name. Tim, right, make, Bruce, yeah, Bruce, Tim, we got a, 
Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, Tim, every time you hear that name, make sure you insert a flushing sound effect. I was going to say, all right, Bruce, we have a solution for you. It's a little little bit of a non-traditional method. I'm going to say the word Cecilia a lot and uh, see what happens. like a verbal laxative. <laughs> little pump and dump. All right, Bruce. Uh, Cecilia. <laughs> mate, it isn't working. It's not it working. working mate. <laughs> Can we get cowboy out here, pull up I that wind? I don't I, see I don't see the indicator. Should I sing it? Should I sing it? No. no. <laughs> Fuck you and your song. I love how you know over an hour into Cook Islands we're reverting back to Panama <laughs> Jones. Stop making fun of me. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so we squished eggs, and all these people are now jammed together in two big tribes, which, again, I literally have like an entire page of notes where I wrote down how this went down. <clears throat> so what I, what I do love, real quick as we go along, there's a good face here when uh, they get together, when Cecilia is, when they, when they get together because Cecilia uh, was part of the new I2 tribe, you can see she's so unimpressed with the paint that is on her hand. Like, s- someone comes forward to her and gives, gives her a hug. I think it's Penner comes forward no maybe it isn't i don't know someone comes forward gives her a hug but like she's sort of like leaning off to the side and she's looking at her hand with like the most disgusted look on her face and she's basically looking around like can someone like get me a towel or something that i can wipe this off my hand yes and let's point out for the record a cecilia was a real player and survivor and b she was a fucking captain she was the captain of this tribe I had no idea. I didn't remember that until I watched it. I'm like, oh my god, she was a captain. Okay, and here, I can even top that. The other tribe, Raro, the new Raro tribe, I wrote them down here. <clears throat> this is, if you were to look up on Wikipedia, this is the who the fuck is that all-star tribe. I didn't remember 80% of these people before I watched this season. So this is the Wikipedia who is that all-star tribe. Raro tribes, Brad, JP, Nate, Adam, Jenny, Rebecca, Stephanie, Christina, and then the greatest player of all time, Parvati. That is the most boring tribe in the history of Survivor, and yes, even worse than Lamina, I will, I, I will say it. Well, it's also, it's going to be either, everyone on Raro is either going to be boring or personified to be an, a living asshole this season. So <laughs> there's really, I would say maybe the, I will say, like, we haven't talked too much about Nate so far, but I've actually been warmed up a lot to Nate on this rewatch. I remember hating him by his boot episode in Cook Islands, but maybe that was just a factor of editing. But they are going to vilify basically everyone who's ever been on Raro uh, ev- once we get to the mutiny uh, going on. So these base guys are basically set up to be like the Legion of Doom of this season. <laughs> they are. It's such a brutal... I mean, that's half your, your show right there. A tribe that you don't care about whatsoever. Yeah. And Parvati. Don't forget Parvati was on there. <clears throat> okay, then we have Cecilia's tribe, the new Aitu tribe. Again, Cecilia, the captain, the architect who put this all together, the general manager. We have Cecilia, Flicka, Sundra, Becky, Candace, Penner, Yule, Ozzy, and Cowboy. And these are our new tribes, and I swear to God I have to write this down and reference it every single episode because I forget who's on each which tribe. <clears throat> so yeah, we go back to their new tribes. Immediately, Cowboy and Flicka bond, probably over their, the fact that they were kind of outsiders on their tribe, and they, they kind of get each other because they're kind of unique. They're just free spirits. And so Cowboy and Flicka kind of become friends. For That's the first relationship we see. And yeah, then... Well, yeah, Jess- well, Jessica says she like she feels a vibration in him. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we've, we've, we've talked enough about Corny that I think we can just put a dot, dot, dot next to anything Flicka says at this point. 
this. And then we have finally get this, the punchline to the Billy scene where Cecilia asks Candace what happened. What was up with Billy? What, were you guys in love? And Candace has no clue what's going on. And so they kind of explain the whole thing to Candace. And she's rightfully kind of shocked and probably horrified that you know this guy thought that she said something she didn't. And then there's a funny capper at the end where Penner is screaming in the background, You let him on! You let him on, Candace! And that's kind of the punchline to the, the Billy is date rapey scene. Well, let's. I guess let's go to Raro, uh, because this is where we start. To let's see. go to Raro. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's really put out, a jump bro. start. Jump start in this show, and let's go to Raro, uh, which is basically this is where we get start to see the beginning of the Parvati master manipulator flirt master uh, edit that she'll get throughout her three seasons here, where she calls. Which involves calling Adam her dirty little monkey and like massaging his ear, uh, and then uh, some other flirting is telling Nate that his pants are falling down. So I don't know if these techniques are actually working, but Parvati points out that I mean Raro does have the beefiest guys, yeah, on the show, uh, and so she's going to use that to her advantage, and so she's going to make her first spider comparison here of many, and decides to start weaving her web. Yeah, and she is never going to live down this confessional. It's going to haunt her for the next ten years. Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah, <laughs> it's I mean it's gonna. Because... Go ahead. No, you go. No, you go, man. No, just... you go. Fucking I was... go. I was just gonna say it's it's. Um, I mean it's this confessional personifies poverty throughout Cook Islands, and this is gonna be a big reason I feel like why it's gonna be a huge question mark in everyone's minds when she's brought back from Micronesia because everyone's gonna remember her for this of oh that that was just the girl that just flirted a lot and was giggly, and yeah. I I will say that I think. We'll see in the next couple episodes. I think Parvati has shown some semblance of a strategic mind, and it's not just boiled down to like, oh, this is the flirty girl that got in a, in a hot tub naked. But when you turn to like this one confessional as one of her highlights, it's really tough to discern her from that persona. It doesn't help that Probst never thinks that she evolves past this one confessional. Oh yeah. To this to this day, <clears throat> Probst will give any interview, and that's all he says. Oh, she manipulates the guys. She flirts. She breaks their heart, and she doesn't really do that anymore. She only did that at the start of Cook Islands, and she's probably trying to live that down. And Probst, to this day, still talks about her like that to, to the point that you see she gets annoyed by it. She's like, "I don't play like that anymore, Jeff. That was only one time." So it's just kind of she she will never live down this confessional. That's what I was going to say just a, a little bit ago. Is that Party is an interesting character in the sense that. We could probably do a podcast just talking about Parvati and, and all the games that she's played because Parvati has, for better or for worse, sort of come across uh, and, and is sort of one of the female faces uh, of Survivor uh, because of the times that she's been out there and the fact that you know she, she uh, won Micronesia and all of this sort of stuff going on. And it's like, I think that Parvati is a decent player. I think she's smart. I think she's able to capitalize on advantages. Um, I think that there's been an incredible amount of luck in some of the games that she's played. But what I will unequivocally say is that in the games that she's done very well in, she I mean, she comes in sixth place here, so it's not like she does terribly here, but I don't think she does a whole ton in this in Cook Islands, to tell you the truth. And whereas I think she does a ton of work in both of the games, the, the next two games that she's going to play, Micronesia and Heroes versus Villains. And in those games where she does a ton of work, it's not I'm flirting with the guys to get ahead for the most part. And so what's tough is I think you're exactly right, is that Jeff Probst and, and some other people are like, ah, oh, Parvati, she's the femme fatale. She, you know, uses her feminine wiles to get ahead. And it's like, Really? No. 
Yeah, she but, bonds with the females more than the males. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, we all seem to forget that her major uh, court of power in Micronesia was an all-female alliance. But this is, you're right, it's this, it's this I'm going to catch him in my web and, you know, use them and all that sort of stuff. This is the confessional. This is, this is what they wanted from Misty, and this is now Parvati, and we had, you know, Survivor now has their femme fatale, and... And, and, and she's not going to do it ever again. But we have it now. So yeah. if everyone yeah. wants to see poverty say, I'm going to flirt and manipulate men, here you go. And I but think she wa- sucks at flirting. I mean, her lines are things like, you're going to eat that octopus all by yourself? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think it's tough. necessarily the content of your words, but it's it's like the old Eddie Izzard joke, Paul. It's the... It's 70% of how you look, 20% of how you sound, and 10% of what you actually say. One thing I wanted to point out, because we talk about historical context here, is one th- it's an interesting thing, is that to see how the world has changed between... When did this season first air? 2006, 2007, somewhere in there? Yeah, so, yeah. So six. <clears throat> all those how, six. How the world has changed between 2006 and 2015. If you were to go on any Survivor message board, especially one like Survivor Sucks that made fun of the players who did snarky photoshops and stuff, the number one player who probably got made fun of the most in 2006, 2007 was probably Parvati at the time. Mm-hmm. That's because every single Photoshop or thread you saw, eventually you'd hit the poverty as a slut jokes or poverty has VD, poverty has gonorrhea jokes. That's that was every thread. That was her entire her entire entire legacy in Survivor was people just bagging on her in Survivor message boards because she was just flirt with anything that walked. So it's just hilarious to see how much the perception of players has changed. Now you go on any message board and it's all, well, she's the greatest player ever. She's the strategist. Like she should have won twice. She should have beat Sandra. And it's just funny how much perception has changed around poverty just because she came back and played again a second time. I, for one, am shocked that an internet message board would be, uh, would, would, uh, you know, talk down to women in such a way. No, they, they used to do that. They don't do that anymore. You they know, they, they, yeah, the, they, the, the internet they, reached, it reached the homeostasis later around 2012. Every, <laughs> oh, everything, yeah, yeah, everything became mature, but yeah, they used to do that. Yeah, the internet is so mature these days. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Tell that to the Vietnamese dog joke subreddit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great callback. I like that. Uh, so I guess we can talk about I2 now, and I guess the, the big majority alliance that forms there that'll be pertinent until the mutiny happens a few episodes later, uh, which is surprising. You know, it's it's Yule and Jonathan and Becky and Candace, and you would think that Yule and Jonathan are the bigger characters and they'd be forming the alliance, but it seems like Becky and Candace are the ones that actually bring the guys into it. Yeah, Becky's actually quite an aggressive player if you just watch the season and just kind of follow her storyline, which, as an asterisk, I don't know why you would ever follow Becky's storyline because it's so fucking boring. But yeah, I would follow it because she does a lot of work in the nonprofit sector. <laughs> that's so awesome, Paul. Well, that's, yeah, that's so, the, you're yeah, right. And, and Jonathan is spending most of his time trying to, like, get Flicka on board with things. Yeah. Which, yeah, like, yeah. you know, look, I like Jonathan. I, I, I think Jonathan is just an all-time great narrator that Survivor has ever had, and I, and I will stand by those guns. But, you know, Jonathan Pender spends a lot of his time in Cook Islands trying to corral Flicka. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he did forgive her for the chickens eventually. He forgives yeah. her for the chickens, and, you know, and, and then he keeps, like, checking on her and making sure, and, you know, she's not going along with Jonathan. And I was basically like, you know, Penner, you're you're exu- you're exerting a lot of energy on this. Maybe, maybe you should stop. He can't, well, can't it, tame a wild horse. 
<laughs> it might be a little bit of Russell Hans in him. You grab the youngest female and just assume you can control her vote. That might be what's going on there. But we see confessional after confessional from Flicka where she's not really controllable, like Mike alluded there. Like she she likes new people. She likes the new people in her tribe. She's not just going to vote with people for strategy. Like for her, it's not about strategy. It's about doing the right thing. It's about ethics. So it's we're going to get some really interesting things coming up here, conversations between Penner and Flicka, where he's 100% strategy and she's 100% emotion and ethics. And it's it's interesting to see the two worlds try to negotiate with one another. Yeah, we 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 did you know make fun a lot of Courtney in our previous uh, podcast, and I did make the comparison that, that I and I do think that after Courtney uh, in her time on Exile Exile Island, they they decided to go a similar route with Flicka. But that being said, I have to give Courtney a lot more credit than Flicka here. <laughs> Courtney, at least, even though she hated the people, she still had a strategic brain and stuck with the alliance, and you know d- decided to make moves when she wanted to. Flicka, if Flicka was in the same position, she would not have done anything uh, to the point of where she might have even, you know, pulled the Kelly Wigglesworth and said, like, I don't want to vote with them anymore. I want to vote with the people I like. Yeah. But that being said, I will defend Flicka and that I think she's one of the more interesting players in the season just because she's wow. hard. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> I didn't say I liked her. Is, is that is that your response? Like your brothers to Cecilia, Paul, is that you hack you hack up? Every that's time my wife. That's my wife Alice's response to Flicka. She can't stand her every time she comes on the straight screen. Why is that? Okay, I'm curious because I think she's interesting. Just because she's just so lame. It's like such an attempt to like, oh, we had such a kid with Courtney. Let's add another fire girl in the mix. But she's just like so lame and boring. And like when she's talking to Jonathan, and Jonathan's going on about how like, yo, just tell people you're not thinking about anything. I'm not thinking about anything. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, she sucks. Wow, Flicka, you just a got gene some complex. <laughs> Flicka, you just got some Montana justice. <laughs> Bam. Sounds like Mr. Sounds like Mr. and Mrs. Osselson don't uh, frequent the many, many uh, different roller derby leagues that go around Chicago. It's a not our thing. Not our roller, thing. I suggest you give it a try. Roller derby is actually kind of interesting. And you know, watching this, I was kind of like, is Flicka? Is she a jammer? I don't know what what she would play on a roller derby squad. But uh, yeah, not the best mind for Survivor, I think. And and the thing is, is that you're right, Mario. This is like our one. Like Flicka and Cowboy, and they they bond, and you're like, oh god, here's our two season wild cards. These yeah. are the people that can shake up the game and go, and they don't. They don't. Nothing really happens. Yeah. Although I will say, I can guarantee Flicka would be a smasher. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, she would be. A, you just know. All right. Um, yeah, but yeah, okay. So let's let's not gloss over this. We do have our final four alliance: Becky, Ewell, Jonathan, and Candace, and they're trying to bring in a fifth. They need that fifth vote. Penner, for some reason, thinks he's going to bring in Flicka. We're going to find out later this is not going to happen. But this is a very important scene because the whole, se- the whole season's going to be based around this, this um, uh, alliance right here. And this is also the uh, aforementioned scene right afterwards where Yule tells Becky that he has the idol. And the, you know, we talked before about the it's that's so awesome response. The one thing I will point out that's well that's, that's weird is that they choose to use like the sad piano music. That <laughs> yes! they- that they, they usually do. use, they which they usually use for like the like oh camp is so crappy the elements are so shitty uh, montages or like when people I, we, talk we had about, a hard like, rain and it's not worth it yeah <laughs> yeah or like or like I'm pretty sure they played that last season when Tina was talking about her dead son <laughs> <laughs> dead son and the idol finding of the idol equivalents <laughs> but yeah you, it's, I, I would like to notify you that uh, I have the idol it is in my possession and. Uh, if I have to find immediate use for it, for me or for you or for any of our next of kin, I believe that uh, we will have to do that. God, that's so awesome. 
Uh, you know, I, I almost put that right. on the funny 115 just because it was such a lame scene. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? And that, that was actually where I got the idea to just bag on Becky the entire funny 115 just from that reaction right there. I'm like, I can't do anything with Becky. I have to, that will be her character. That's the joke. I can just, that you cannot do anything with her. That she's completely flat and lifeless. Great player, though. <laughs> Lots of nonprofit work. All right. So we get to the episode three immunity challenge. This is the, the uh, Tom Westman Memorial Palau challenge where you carry the weight on your shoulders as you run around a circle in the water. Which so, is sad because I like this challenge and yet they make it boring. <laughs> yeah, well, Cook Island well, ruins it. The, the, I, I will say that it's a little interesting at the end and I think this will be – there's a little bit of a theme in a couple of these challenges this season of like Yule – I wouldn't say breaks the challenge but he figures out a way to kind of – outsmart the challenge and there is one here and i think this is actually a legitimate strategy where so predictably the women drop off and it basically comes down to like the guys um and so yule decides like okay because the rules are and i don't know if they i don't remember if they changed from palau but the rules here are the first person who like gets tackled to the water loses it for their tribe and so yule thinks okay if we just stop and face them, I just need to tackle somebody. And if they hit the water first, we win it no matter what. We don't have to go all the way around. And he almost gets away with it. If Cowboy didn't get like thrown down by JP, he would have tackled Adam and I too would have won the challenge. Attack zone. Basically, yeah. Without, we'll see choking in a couple of episodes. But then yeah. they, would have, they would have won by a bunch of rules. It would have been interesting to see how Jeff would have called that, honestly, Mike, because I was thinking the same thing, because I was thinking that it was you have to catch them and then tackle them to the ground. I think that's, in theory, what the point was, but it was the first person to tackle someone on the other tribe wins, and Yule's just like, let's just face them and fight them. And I was like, what? Wait, huh? (laughs) I would have loved to see Jeff rule on that. Like, that would have been, you know, fun to see him, you know, go, oh, yeah, yeah, Yule, you you know, but I, I think that Jeff probably would have been like, well, I guess we don't have any of Jeff's, uh, you know, beloved people on the season. He's not totally sold on Ozzy yet or anything like that. And Ozzy's on Yule's tribe at this point. But, uh, yeah, it gets anticlimactic because just Cowboy just runs in and just gets absolutely clobbered by JP. <laughs> All right, let's not gloss over the fact that it's, it's four guys versus four guys at the ends, and you have Rebecca hanging with the, is it the Raro tribe is she on? Mm-hmm. I seriously have to look at my notes, what tribe is she on? Yeah, so Rebecca hangs with the Raro. So, she basically does what Stephanie does in Palau, but because they're not building the whole season around Rebecca, they don't highlight it like they did with Stephanie. But let's give Rebecca some props for hanging with the guys. She's the only girl that hangs in there. Rebecca is yeah, there was a, a Rebecca. contestant yeah. on Survivor Cook Islands. <laughs> yeah, I know. Damn, we, we tipped our hands again. I was going to give another quiz to see if people could name Rebecca. Go figure <clears throat> that we have a Rebecca and a Becky on this season, and they both have the same level of charisma. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so the, the boring Raro tribe wins the challenge, and they're going to send the new Aitu tribe to Tribal Council. And this is oh, one where, a twist. Yeah, but, done, right. done, done. Yeah, how many times this season does Probe say there's a note we're going to read after the challenge? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, this is the second time, because the first time, I believe, was in the first episode when he read off that the losing tribe sends someone to Exile Island. So, And you know what? I think we're actually, in a few episodes, we're going to be praying for the note when they bring the bottle out. So let's, let's <laughs> yes. not count our chickens here. I have a note here. It's from, uh, oh, it's from our doctor. And it reads, all right, Bruce, can you poop, mate? Wait, who put this in here? I still can't. It hurts so much. 
Okay, so yeah, so the Raro tribe gets to pick one person to go to Exile Island, and we're going to start a season-long theme here. We're going to send Candace to Exile Island. And this will start becoming very funny later, but for now, it's Candace's, let's just say her first time in Exile Island. Yeah, right. and this is yeah this and this raises a lot of eyebrows on i two where the conversation when they immediately get back is like okay why because previously in the pre, in the two episodes it seemed to go along the theme of like let's pick you know a, a big buff guy to go so we're gonna weaken him the Terry Deeds strategy if you will from last season but then picking Candace is sort of a completely out of left field strategy because it's she doesn't necessarily need to be weakened it seemed as they predicted more of a social play from Parvati and Adam they assumed to try to protect her. Yeah, Nate's like, she led Billy on. Karma's a bizzle. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so they send Candace to Exile Island, and we go back to I2, and here's the big showdown where, where uh, the new alliance, the I2-4, they're all going to vote for Cecilia. This is the, the Becky and Yule alliance, and they think they have Flicka in the middle. They're all going to vote for Cecilia. And then the other group is all going to vote for Becky. Ozzy apparently has an alliance that we never see form, but they talk about how they're all going to gang up and vote for Becky. So it's basically Becky or Cecilia tonight, and Flicka is right in the middle. She's the Dolly Neely Memorial middle vote where she's the swing right in the middle. And they all think they have Flicka on their side. Penner thinks that Flicka's in his pocket to vote for Cecilia. And then Flicka, of course, as she is wont to do, tells Penner, uh, yeah, they're all going to vote for Becky. I'm just going to go with them. I don't want to vote for Cecilia tonight. And Penner flips out. This is, he thought he had his, uh, not going to, not that she's dumb, but I will use the Russell Hance quote. His dumbass girl isn't going to vote along with his wishes. So now he's ticked off. So now, uh, now, Penner goes scrambling to you, only have to scramble. How are they going to save Becky? Because I'd, I'd actually forgotten that Becky was in a lot of danger at this vote. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so, so the solution is Yule's going to go to Cowboy. And as much as we make crap on the editing of the first few episodes, I actually really like this sequence where it's simultaneous conversations between Jonathan and Flicka and Yule and Cowboy, where they're both kind of trying to uh, sway them over. And you see like the different, different strategies they take, where Yule is definitely much more of a passive approach. He's talking about, like, you know, Becky's not a princess. She's going to be loyal to us. And Cecilia is actually the weak link. Whereas Penner's flat out saying, like, you are not thinking for the future of this game. You are going to be on the outside of this vote. What the hell are you doing? And I will say why I like that, that scene. And I talked about it earlier that I love watching the scene because it's Penner and Flicka. Yes, technically, they're speaking the same language. They're both speaking English. But that's about as far as it goes with the, anything in, in, in a comparison of what they're talking about. They're talking about completely different things. They have no way to identify with, the, with what the other person is saying. And it's just a fascinating thing to watch where, you know, kind of what modern Survivor has evolved into is just a strategy. Everything strategy, strategy, strategy. And we're to the point that Survivor is basically like sports now where after every game there's talk radio where people go and talk about the game, the, the football game for the next week. It's, that's what it's turned into. Everyone discusses strategy where this scene is interesting because Penner wants to talk strategy, but that's the reality of Survivor is that it's not always strategy. You have to work around variables. You have to walk around, work around people that aren't talking strategy. You have to work around emotions and people with different levels of ethics. So it's just fascinating to me to see this kind of two worlds of Survivor colliding where they're trying to communicate and they just can't do it because they just can't understand the other person's logic. And it's, I understand most people think Flick is being ridiculous. I just think it's interesting to see the two different ways of looking at the game meshed out like that. <clears throat> so anyway, Cecilia's voted out. <laughs> I, I will say uh, Flicka, for you know, all the talk we just had about her, rocking some nice Adam Durds from Counting Crow's hair at the said tribal council. <laughs> yes. A big fan. Paul's wife loves the hair, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, we lost Paul. I mean, I just had to go to the bathroom after you said that name so many damn times. 
You should just get some depends for this podcast, Paul. Then you wouldn't have really? to leave. No, don't worry. The yeah. she who must not be named is gone now. All right. Oops, some oops, I crap my pants for Paul. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so we lose Cecilia, the first of a bunch of no-names here. All right, so now we're going to go to episode four. This is the <laughs> JP episode, and I should point out, once again, JP, as Jay said, was a character on Survivor Cook Islands. What did, uh, Mike, what did you call him earlier? Douche nozzle. Yes. <laughs> I, and I love the you know Paul you talked about the the episode one title and how kind of whack it is episode four's title is called ruling the roost and I actually love it for so many reasons because it's a double entendre and that probably literally says that when she's talking about JP high and mighty but also this is the episode where cowboy almost kills a baby bird by knocking it <laughs> literally out of its roost <laughs> I'd forgotten about that scene that was actually a pretty good scene all right, so we get to episode four, and remember, Becky was almost voted out last night. People forget that she was she, really only the uh, intervention of Cowboy kind of there at the end or whatever. The, I forgot who the whole swing was, but only that intervention saved Becky and got Cecilia last night. So we start episode four with a confessional from Becky where she says, I received three votes, Cecilia received five. <laughs> so again, I have to point out, I wrote in my notes here, that is Becky's equivalent of, who the hell voted for me? <laughs> John? <laughs> that's, literally, that's, that's as angry as she gets. You are off three. my nonprofit board, yeah. John. <laughs> I'm going to pop his head off like a chicken. You will not be receiving any donations. <laughs> so aside from Becky, we get uh, Ozzy... Does the survivor equivalent of picking up his ball and ending the game in that he says, you know, he he was on the losing side of the vote and he says, you know, I'm on the abs. I feel like crap. I don't feel like playing anymore. I hope I too can vote me off as soon as possible. Let's remember, guys, this is our runner up and one of the (laughs) most popular survivors nowadays has just been talking about how much he hates his position in the game and how he doesn't care if he goes home right now. You know what? I love. Go ahead. I was going to say also, kids. This is not the first time in Ozzy's Survivor playing that he is going to get upset and say, you know what? I'm a free agent. You're going to do whatever I uh, I'm going to do whatever I want and I will I will catch things for me and uh, and and let me know when you guys are uh, are done so I don't have to feed you anymore. <laughs> I was going to say what I love about Ozzy's edit is that he says right here I'm not going to catch any more fish. And literally by the end of this episode, he's catching so many fish that they love him. Yeah. So the edit, isn't, the, the edit doesn't quite match there. Well, this will be the last time I think we're going to see Ozzy as an asshole for like the rest of the season because from now on it's all going to be about Ozzy the provider. Yeah, it's like the edit just has a complete 180. I'm not going to catch any fish. Well, okay, I'm going to catch fish, but I won't like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, I'll like it, but what was I saying? What was the <laughs> question? I'm going to catch all these fish and feed you guys, but fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so we cut to Raro, and this is kind of the storyline of the season now, that Raro has all the big, beefy guys. They have Brad, JP, Nate, and Adam. And they's basically, Raro has four guys, five girls, but the girls are know they're not going to vote out the guys because the guys are so strong. So the guys start to get a little cocky. And this is where the JP douche nozzle edit, as Mike alluded to, starts ramping up now. Yeah, and, and actually, JP actually says like something very similar to what Sekou does in the first episode, where he's like, you know, the girls can be pissed off at me, but they're not going to get rid of me. No, they'd be foolish to get rid of me. And of course, you know, I wish this had happened a third time later on, because, you know, things work perfectly in threes, but like, it's just fantastic, the parallels between it. Basically, anytime a guy says, you can't get rid of me, they get rid of him this season. <laughs> well, what's impressive about this edit, JP, is that 
JP's in a group of uh, guys, including Adam, and Adam is not the douchiest guy of the four. That's impressive that JP manages to out-douchey him. Because <laughs> Adam's going to have his moments later. Because, like, every time Adam talks, I'm like, he's like, he's like one of the jock guys from Heathers, is like how, how I, I totally <laughs> see it there. Pound it, bro! <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't see mineral water on that guy. <laughs> oh my god he also he also looks like one of those uh giant henchmen for like one of those cartoon gangsters <laughs> like he doesn't yes. have the voice you can, but you can be like uh duh boss okay you got it <laughs> yes <laughs> i hope adam doesn't listen to this podcast by the way oh adam i'm sure he is <laughs> adam doesn't know how to work a podcast <laughs> okay now i hope cecilia doesn't listen because of paul's dump story <laughs> Can you imagine Cecilia's mom or daughter listening to this podcast? Oh, you compared my mother to a piece of shit. No, I, I imagine if, if if that were happening, they would like immediately go to Cecilia and go, you were on Survivor? When? That's good. All right, let's get into the episode four reward challenge. This is where... Uh, they use a decoding wheel to decipher a phrase, and they win pillows and blankets and hammocks. Yes, it's the Eliza Orleans Memorial Challenge, where it's it starts off with throw two people under and over a bunch of obstacles. <laughs> yes, I literally have no notes about this episode. That's how uninterested I was about this uh, this whole challenge. All I wrote is, "Here's the challenge." I wrote, "I two wins." <laughs> That's all I have. That's is anything else happen in this challenge? Well, they drag uh, these two women through the sand. Yeah, <laughs> were they old, they, Paul? Were they old? Them. No, and so like, I didn't care. Well, like Christina at some point says to them, because, you know, the whole point is that they're dragging the women through and the, the I2 wins the challenge, right? So, and, and Railroad's losing. And at one point, I think Christina looks at them and says, hey, guys, you need to, you know, get some slack going as we go through the obstacles. And it's like, is it Adam? It's one of them. It's basically like, what good slack going to do? You just have to get through the obstacles. And like <laughs> my wife was watching and was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, well, a couple other things from this challenge. So this is the first time we really see like Ozzy challenge Beast in the water, where he like, like, and we'll see in the immunity challenge too. But like, he really like just dives right in, and he extends iTunes lead, you know, enormously by getting the wheel. But the the message, you know, nowadays in Survivor, it's usually it's, it's come down to like using Jeff Probst's phrases to solve puzzles in an immunity challenge nowadays. This one was actually a fun one. It was last castaways back, cast one away. So I thought that was like good on you, Survivor producers, for like starting off strong in terms of it's no it's no road trip, but it's definitely something good. Hey Garth, that was a haiku. <laughs> Which is yeah, funny because fun. like trying to do that wheel you know, last last cat. You know, there's a lot of repeating letters, and it just seems like they were really stumped for a long time. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of similar letters there. You would think they'd get it faster, but you know, they're deprived and out there doing the show. So I won't give them too much flack. Yeah. So I two wins mostly thanks to Ewell, and they get to send one of the beefy Raros to Exile Island, and they send Adam. So Adam goes off to Exile Island, and that that's the only thing that will happen about that. I. I don't even remember. Was there even footage of Adam on Exile Island? I don't remember. No, no. <laughs> Who cares? Fuck it. Yeah, they they even you know for bringing. I I can understand if Survivor wanted to bring back Exile for like posterity's sake to try to not make it a one season thing, but even the editors were like, yeah, you know, the Idols family won't really show it. I don't think I don't remember if they even showed Candace uh, last episode either. And we're gonna get a lot of this in Exile Island. At least they showed 
people going to exile every episode if it, if it only was for like a minute this season they're they're going to show probably only half the people that go to exile if that all right so now we get the scene where ozzy was so pissed he wasn't going to catch any fish we cut to the next scene ozzy goes out and catches nine fish he's the greatest fisherman ever so wonderful editing job right there <laughs> all right and uh, let's see so yeah ozzy's becoming the king of the itus and then over on the other side, we have JP, the king of the Raros. <clears throat> and this is where Parvati gives us a confessional where JP is just sitting around doling out orders. She can just see in his body language. He thinks he's the boss, that nobody's going to vote him out. So she's like, you know, that doesn't sit real well with me. So basically, Parvati starts flirting with Nate to get in with the guy alliance. And, and <laughs> Nate has a great confessional where he's like, you know, I really trust Parvati. <laughs> she's my secret weapon. And he's like, but I have to be smart. I can't fall for her like a dum-dum. <laughs> So you can kind of guess where that storyline is going to go. Yeah, uh, but I mean, to and to to credit Nate though, he does understand Parvati's concern, and he says, you know, he gives the attitude of let the king sit pretty, and we'll get his reaction actually in the recap as to what he feels about the whole JP blind side. But I mean, Nate is all about like, I mean, understandably as a big beefy guy, he wants to keep the big beefy guys around. So he's definitely, you know, Parvati's actually starting to try to make a move here or at least is ruminating on it but nate is not going to have it yeah it's again my notes for this episode are so scarce or sparse i have nothing going on here all i wrote is and then i too goes and they see a baby booty booby bird and and uh (laughs) cowboy climbs out and knocks it out of the nest and so the bird instantly becomes the sixth biggest character of the season (laughs) (laughs) what i love is jonathan's insistence he's just like i mean that bird was born less than 24 hours ago i mean that bird was born like 20 minutes ago that bird was born in front of my eyes (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's bollocks and you know it well he is like so emotional about it too like he is like even in in the confessional he's like at the point of tears talking about it Meanwhile, can you imagine if like Scoopin had knocked it down? He would have smeared that blood, that bird's blood, all over his face and stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know. And and the thing was is that you could see like immediately afterwards. Like I, this is one of those where I don't know why this scene is in the show. Like I again, just like Mike's explanation with the Billy and Candace thing. I feel like when you have footage like this, you have to include it somehow. And I get that, but it's like the thing is is that we already know Cowboys on the outs, so I don't know if we necessarily need. A further one and i cowboy has a nice confessional where he just talks about you know like the kid in me wants to go and maybe i shouldn't do things like that and that was all that sort of stuff but it's like you can see cowboy knocks the the nest over and the and the baby chick out and it's like you can see he's instantly feels terrible about it and then they they get the bird back in the nest they get the nest back up to cowboy cowboy replaces the 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 nest and he you could just see the whole time like they all felt really bad about it and then we get this confessional from penner just going this bird that was born right in my hands was in there and it's like i'm sitting there going like what why am i watching this why is this a scene on my tv what's funny is that they even hyped this in the last episode in the next yeah. episode on survivor the cowboy goes too far and they show the bird like they literally had nothing going on in the season they had to show shit like that and build entire episodes around it I will say an, another great gem of this scene, though, and maybe maybe one editor knew Ozzy's past because he they do get in the quote this episode where Ozzy says, I wonder how boobies taste. <laughs> <laughs> we know you know how boobies taste, Ozzy. Well, well done. That's why the temp's on the show, for the booby humor. Thank you, and, and good night. <laughs> and scene. 
All right, so we have the episode four immunity challenge. And seriously, I'm like, I have no notes in this episode. The episode four immunity challenge: rescue a tribesmate on a stretcher, come back, build a fire. And then yep. I just wrote, cowboy starts a fire for I two, whatever. That's that's my entire <laughs> notes for this challenge. I'm so glad you put in the time to do research for this. Holy crap! <laughs> so fucking boring this season. We get Our a ton of leader. poverty, poverty, poverty in this yep. challenge. Poverty is- jumps off. Poverty swims. And what's, and what's it's this is this is Aussie just you know it, it's the Aussie and cowboy show almost it's like the first part is Aussie where he has to run out and rescue uh, the uh, tribe mate is it Candace Becky probably it's yeah one of them one of them. yeah it's Becky Candace, I think yeah yeah I, I don't know help whatever me, help me I'm but sorry. um <laughs> help me <laughs> but like the, it's the whole thing where JP is the one that that swims out for Raro and it's like. JP is a is a like a beach volleyball pro or something, and it's like JP is athletic, and, and you know JP is a good swimmer. And I would think like on any season, he probably with a lead does very good uh, on this tribe. But it's like then Ozzy like runs on the water for most of it, and then dives in, like overtakes him as quickly, and then jumps back in, and then swims ashore. And I was just basically like, any other season, JP probably does, you know, maintains his lead. But nope, playing Ozzy. It is interesting also looking at these challenges too, specifically the two in this episode, that a lot of them, and including the the one of the Double Tribal Council episode, basically features like, let's take, here's your lightest women, put them in some sort of perilous situation and have everyone else kind of help them out or use them for some reason. Well, it's a throwback to the Survivor 1 and Survivor 2, the, the rescue, yeah. the shelter. And in, in theory, it's your smallest tribe member, which usually, I guess, is a woman. So there is that. It just reminded also- me... It's reminding of like Vanuatu when it's like there was always like a, a position for scout of like the gatekeeper where there's like a <laughs> position in every challenge where it's like somebody's going to stand there and get thrown around. It's also a perfect analogy for how probes views women in Survivor that you just stand there and let the guys do all the work. That's basically probes view of Survivor. Yeah, so anyway, I, I too went. <laughs> I don't have anything. It's the one where Cowboy does all his voodoo stuff and swings the the... What is that stuff that the, the kindling around and starts the fire and like, oh, wow, I too or cowboy won it for us. So I also wins. notice on the other tribe, we have, you know, Rebecca and and people like that. And, and they you can see them hacking up their flint. And basically, <laughs> Raro, who ha- who wasn't off to the best start, it was I too that had the lead. But everyone's focused on cowboy and his spinning around of the thing. But you could see on the other tribe, Jenny even gets a. Uh, uh, cut with the machete but you could see that there were people not being able to use the flint properly and not being able to start a fire wait remember that kids who's jenny who's rebecca you're making these names up there's no way there's a jenny and rebecca on this season hear me out there were people on the cook island season that had trouble starting a fire with flint i know that's hard all right. <clears throat> so, yeah, the beefy Raros have lost again, and this is where we are we going to see the fall of JP? Because they've just been building him up to be this huge douche all episode. And the answer and so, is yes. Well, the answer is yes, but not right away, because they get back to camp, and Stephanie's like, you know what? I'm the weakest. I don't help the tribe much. <laughs> yeah, so this Stephanie is definitely Bizarro Stephanie LaGrosa, right? The one who's, you know, instead of I won't give up, I'm such an inspirational person, we get, yeah, I'm the weakest link, and I'm going to go get some mashed potatoes. Yeah. And is this the uh, first, this may be the first time we've heard Stephanie in quotes, I'm assuming that was her real name, on this season. 
Like, <laughs> Stephanie now shows up as a character. All right, okay. No, she's my, like, hidden, like, gem that I love in episode four and, and next episode of five. Like, <laughs> she's such a weirdo to have in this cast that she's just thrown in. Um, and I, I think it's even funnier next episode with the whole mashed potatoes gate. But um, she really starts shooting herself in the foot this episode by... She is. Yeah. Um, but, so, Steph- yeah, so Stephanie admits, you know... You vote I, me out. I'm, yeah, vote me out. And so the guys are like, yeah, we're going to do that. Great. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, boss, whatever you say. Um, Dude, pound it. <laughs> but um, it turns out that this is a big uh, Jenny episode. Uh, and Jenny, Jenny and Rebecca specifically are the two to like commiserate and say, you know what? We don't like JP. Let's organize all the girls to get him out. And, you know, as much as much as we just joked about Jenny not really being a presence on this season, she does have her one shining moment here. Yeah. Yeah, this is a nice little turnaround. And it's it kind of made me laugh when I watch it because the girls all decide, well, you know, there's five of us. We could just vote out JP. They're like, yeah, OK, let's get Parvati. So they go to Parvati, the greatest player of all time. And Parvati's like, Nah, and they're like, okay, fuck it, don't talk to Parvati. Let's get Brad instead. <laughs> so they just bring in Brad, and that's it for JP. So Parvati is a complete afterthought. Parvati is an afterthought, but she does go along with it. But it's funny because we've had these scenes of Parvati working on the men, working on Nate, and having the the whole chat by the fire in the dark, where you know Nate's like, "I got you, man. I'm where I'm not going to let you go apart and stuff like that." Whereas JP gets uh, sent home. It's a 7-2 vote. Obviously, JP votes for... Uh, who are they? Oh, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And Nate votes for Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And it's Adam and Brad that decide to you know vote in against JP. And it's like, it's good storytelling, boys. I'm really good on this. <laughs> yeah, they didn't mention the whole Adam switching on JP thing. Yeah. Though, and we'll find out in the recap episode again that Nate actually did know about the vote beforehand. Parvati actually told him, but he was so adamantly against it that he purposely still voted for Stephanie. All right. Well, that's good because Stephanie only delayed her execution by one episode, so we still have her for one more full episode. Yeah. Though this is, I mean, this is a pretty, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're talking, if we're, if we're really clawing for interesting moments here in the first episode, I do feel like the... Exit of douche nozzle JP is a lot of fun uh, because he is legitimately stunned, and it's not often that we get you know alpha males getting blindsided pre-merge on Survivor. JP is is interesting because they use the limited time with JP just to show that he was not really going to win this game, and then they sort of pay it off here. So you're right, Mike. It's it's nice to see JP sort of get his comeuppance, but. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, what Mario was talking earlier, if JP was the one really behind Billy's exit, would have been really fun to play that up more just so it was even more satisfying to get him to send home. But, you know, we, we have so few people to highlight and so many people to get rid of that that's how we're going to play this. Yeah. We're just continuing the, continuing the theme here of we don't care that people are about to die or horrible things are going to happen to them, but we're going to, we're going to hear every agonizing minute of it along the way. The, the Yoda, Return of the Jedi again, or, or the Lamar Odom of Survivor seasons, if you will. Wow. Oh, That's right. There, there you go. He's conscious. <laughs> so episode five, we get into it, and this is how riveting this era of Survivor is, how we start with a scene of Becky, Sundra, and Candace staring at each other's armpits. Not to mention the railroad guys brushing their teeth. It's really just riveting television. <laughs> like the editors, you can actually hear the, the sound of them slamming the door and walking out and giving up on this season at this point. 
<laughs> yeah, so nothing's going on except Cowboy sees all these girls sitting around and he sees they're lazy and he's annoyed and that's really a bad hit. So we're going to go right to the reward challenge because there ain't nothing else going on. And this is the one where they stack the weights on the people, the sandbags, which is always a fun challenge. Yeah, this one's with pairs. Absolutely. You get two people and you just have to knock off one or the other. So it's a good way to speed up the challenge. This is the Andrew Savage Memorial Challenge. Mm-hmm. Rip in peace, Andrew Savage. Yeah, <laughs> poor guy. So yeah, the only thing that's notable about this one is I completely forgotten about this. A lot of people mentioned I should put this on the funny 115, and I'm like, well, you're really stretching if you're doing entries like this, where you know Jeff is saying, oh, we're going to wait a little more, and Penner says, oh, it's a pun, ha ha, wait a little more. And really, that's like the fourth funniest thing in the entire season of Cook Islands. That's how <laughs> sad the season is. <laughs> There's another fun moment in the challenge, though, where Nate's going to use the term get faded a lot to refer to uh, imbibing in alcohol. And I think this is the first time he mentions this tonight. He's like, I'm going to get some wine tonight and get faded. And then Jessica has her own little snippy response where she says, more like whining. And everyone just does, you know, the schoolyard like, ooh. Yeah. Jessica does a lot of trash talking here, and then she just promptly loses. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that sums up Flicka. (laughs) We should get your wife on here, Paul. I'm sure she would love to chime in on this. Yeah, that she would love me to go wake her out of bed right now to talk about Flicka. That would just make her (laughs) night. (laughs) Happy wife, happy life. So yeah, so Rara wins on this one due to the beefcake combination of Adam and Nate. And uh, so Rara wins, and uh, as part of their reward, they uh, send Penner back to exile. And again, mm-hmm. we don't care. They already <laughs> found the idol. Who cares? Yep. <laughs> and so I'm going, okay, what else is on my notes for this episode? We go back to Rero, and Adam gets an octopus stuck to his foot. Yeah, Rero has a surprise. I don't know if they're like on an octopus nest or something, but it seems like every episode from now on, somebody has caught an <laughs> octopus. Yeah, and it's like stuck to his foot like a face hugger in Alien. It's kind of creepy. Uh, I don't know. There's a sulky thing on my leg, boss. How do I get it off? Yeah, there's a lot of like bro down over octopus, you know, attacks. Like they get an octopus. Dude, I have an octopus. Get it off you, bro. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Pound it. And you're like, this is a lot of stuff about octopi. Oh, and then we have some drama because Christina spills the octopus. Yeah, this Seriously, is, this is the storyline of these middle episodes. <laughs> this is, and it's, it's pretty, it's very drawn out. So basically, it's Christina and Jenny are, well, first we get that storyline of like, Christina is apparently taking the role of the chef, and she's like one degree below Keith Fahey in terms of like, not only is she not a good chef, but she's also extremely demanding about it. Um, but her and Jenny go down to like, I guess, wash the octopus, and Jenny said, okay, I'm going to leave you, and Christina, I guess, filled the pot with water so some of the like a few pieces of the octopus spilled out and she tries to blame jenny because she thought that she would be there and that's literally it and adam just becomes peeved at christina which is the storyline that we're going to get for the next two episodes i can't believe we're doing a podcast about this episode to be honest (laughs) (laughs) oh my god All right. What, what, so, always, right. What, what seems to be the trend on this railroad tribe is we'll see it as through the next few episodes. It's like all of a sudden, like every episode, like someone pops up that is like a problem that like wasn't a problem yeah. before. It's like it pops up last episode. Oh, Stephanie's a problem, so she's going to be a problem for two episodes. Then it pops up now that Christina's a problem, and it seems like everyone else is solved. Then later on, it's going to pop up that all of a sudden Rebecca doesn't pull her. 
that Jenny is actually not loyal. So they actually don't give us much foundation for any of these things. It's just these like little minute things happen, and all of a sudden it's like there's a new huge target on the tribe. Yeah, I always wondered what the editors thought of this season. It just is all over the place. Yeah, yeah I, they I don't do, tie I, together, yeah. do they? No, no I feel like does. I feel like I mean it's it's tough because I do know that like from an editing perspective, they do bring in different editors to do each episode but it's not like you know we spoke of guatemala as a as a series that season that feels like they're sort of like you can enjoy it on an episode by episode basis but it doesn't really shrink together as a cohesive storyline but cook islands is the similar uh a similar attitude but you don't enjoy the individual episodes (laughs) either yeah they bring in new editors for every episode but this is the only season where they brought them all in on the short bus (laughs) oh no (laughs) that's right we're not gonna do racial humor we're doing that kind of humor See what we have to compensate for, folks. <laughs> I'm trying to give you guys content. There's no fucking content in this season. It's terrible. Well, let's talk about the island expedition then. Do we have to? <laughs> That's, it's, it's it's something relatively interesting. We outside of Danny's birthday party, we don't we don't really have this happen before. So then on I2, what happens is the cowboy and uh, Flicka and Ozzy want to go exploring, and they find they have an island in the distance, and they're going to go paddle out to the island and. You know, like, Candace, do you want to go? And she basically says, nah. So then, <laughs> and, and, and this, we saw this. This is something that happened in the episode. Then they paddled out there. And then we get there, and uh, Ozzy, you know, is like, cool, there's Noni, which is something that, you know, helps with cuts and things like that. And then they go even further, and they basically realize they have paddled out to Raro's Island. Yeah, yes. and they're... There is a, there is a moment not to be missed though when Ozzy's talking about the finding the noni that he says it, it it's an antiseptic that treats cuts like this and he just holds up his middle finger and I still can't tell if he <laughs> meant to do it or not but I mean it's definitely a second place to Brian Heidick in terms of uh, middle fingers that didn't get blurred on television so uh, but it's still it's still I guess kind of fun to note <laughs> that was so awesome. <laughs> So then, you know, they get the whole thing where it's like a commercial break or whatever. They get there and then they come back and it's the the three I2 members are at Raro's Beach and they're like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, oh, we were exploring, blah, blah. And then basically, you know, Cowboy just sits down in the middle of Raro's camp and you can tell the Raro they totally don't want them there. And he sits down and not only does he sit down, then he starts telling a story. <laughs> uh I actually do love this because, you know, before we had Coach reading the poem and Token Sheens, we had these several time transition shots that the editors played with here where Cowboy was talking about Chinese symbology. Yes, and then they 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 sort of do the, the smash cut of, like, time has elapsed and he's still talking and you can see everyone there and time has elapsed and people are talking. And basically it is showing us that the castaways know how we feel about watching Survivor Cook Island. <laughs> yes, it's a very meta in-joke. Actually, someone should, if someone is good with video editing, try to take this scene with the Raro uh, reaction shots and cut it with, like, footage of Survivor Cook Islands on a television set. <laughs> yeah, people still will argue that this is their one of their favorite seasons. Uh, it's, it's just, here's the thing. It's like, people are, you know, and that, that, that's the whole thing, is people say, well, it's got Jonathan Penner. It's like, true, and? <laughs> yeah. it, it's got, oh, it, it has... It has Parvati in it, yes, and we have this whole long scene of like just 
you know, and they even talk about how cowboys sit down. It's like we don't even get the whole humor of him and his story. Like you don't get his story. You just get the sort of time elapse thing and you get them all looking awkwardly. And it's like we get an awkward scene where something awkward happens and they want it to be over. And so basically we just have a scene where they don't want to be there. It's the only Survivor season that just sort of kills time. Mm-hmm. Though Cowboy, he doesn't just tell stories, though, because afterwards he has the audacity to be like, okay, guys, let's all look for coconuts together <laughs> that we can bring back to our camp. I love it. He says, "Can we? let's go look for coconuts on your, on your island together. We'll split them with you. <laughs> Anybody have a headache? And then, and then they tell him no. He's like, oh, can I just beg for a few of your spices? What's funny is I watched this episode today and I don't remember any of this. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, let's go back to I2. We're about to get some actual content. Where oh, yes. This was, this was the uh, Sundra gets brought in, right? Exactly. Their they're final four alliance. They're still searching for that fifth. They wanted Flicka. Flicka's not going to happen because she's crazy. So they're going to bring in Sundra. And I think it's because Sundra is not manipulative. So Sundra will become the fifth, and there we go. This is basically the story of the season right here. That's your is, final Is final this where we get the shot of her hanging upside I think it is, yes. It's somewhere around there. There's some weird shot of her hanging upside down. Her eyes just kind of like rolled in the back of her head, and she's like staring out as she's upside down in the hammock. Yeah. Once again, the editors just leave it up to us to decide what that means. <laughs> or possibly, to... possibly possessed. Who knows? <laughs> you tell us. <laughs> I was going to say, or it's uh, trying to sum up how Mario feels watching this season. <laughs> it's killing me. It's killing me today. I went through six episodes and I wrote four pages of notes. That's the saddest thing ever. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> just, if I could just get this out of me, it would feel so much better. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, to an immunity challenge. And, yes, please. And I2 wins. Yeah, this is where they stack the people on the platform. Yeah. I, I have to, you have to commend the challenge team for being like a little creative in this. It's just basically like the first step, the first part is you transport your smallest people again on these large poles that they build. And then everyone has to get on this large tower, this small tower at the end. They have to all get their like feet off the ground. And because, you know, Raro's big bulky guys work against them here where they can't get everyone up there. And I too is able to benefit from it. Duh. <laughs> Duh. I'm going to stand on the tower, boss. Uh, you grab onto my legs. Like octopus before, boss. Remember that? Yeah, octopus powdered! <laughs> I like how we have dueling Adam Gentry impressions. I sure hope people have seen Heathers. They would appreciate that so much more. <laughs> and Cowboy's up there like, hey, look how many Asians you can get onto a tower. They're like, shut up, Cowboy. Not funny. Yeah, so I2 wins. And, uh... Then they go back to, so Rara goes to this, Paul, I think Paul can do the scene justice. So Rara goes back and Stephanie's like, you know, you guys didn't vote me out last time. How about this time? <laughs> well, she just, she just, she confides in, uh, in, in Nate that she could easily see herself eating some mashed potatoes and gravy that, that evening. And then it just kind of spirals out of control of, of, of this going on to person to person about she's given up. And then the funniest <laughs> part is when it actually gets back to her from, from Parvati about it. And she's like, they were saying that something about you wanted some 
mashed potatoes and gravy or something. And then I love her confessional when Stephanie goes, um, I was just having fun. And that's like a huge joke I have with one of my friends is that we're just like, we're just having fun talking about mashed potatoes and gravy. Like what's more fun than just talking about taters and gravy? It's, it's just fun. It's what me and my bros do all the time. <laughs> so I'll still get a text every now and then. Like we were in college at the time. I get a text like, having so much fun. They're serving taters and gravy tonight. <laughs> uh, I will say Nate blows things pretty out of proportion here. They're like, could you imagine <laughs> Nate in Survivor Australia with Jerry and Amber talking about the chocolate? <laughs> like, like, all right, Jeff, two people. We got two quitters right here. They're, real, they're going home. We got to vote them out right now. They're talking about going to chocolate, eating people like Hershey bars. They're gone. They're they ta- they talking about contraband food that is not part of this game. I will not have it. <laughs> that means they are quitting the game. Karma is a bizzle. No, what, what, uh, it, it is interesting because it does seem like Stephanie probably wasn't saying, I want to quit. She just was probably imagining food that isn't there, like, you know, 100% of the people that are out there. But uh, the fact that she's just come off the fact of maybe vote me out, I mean, it's just, it's tough. And then she's just like, you say one thing and people take it out of proportion. It's like, yeah, they do. So watch what you say. Yeah. Survivor is not fun. Leave the, leave, <laughs> leave the fun at the door. Like, don't show up to Survivor and act like you're going to be talking about mashed potatoes and gravy. Like, yeah, it's one of the things you got to give up. I can't believe Paul created a little thing out of Cook Islands, the mashed potatoes and fun. We're going to get emails about that now. So Paul just created, he spun gold out of straw right there. There's something interesting to talk about in the middle of Cook Islands. Does that mean we have to lock Paul into a, into a tower so you can spin more memes about mashed potatoes and gravy? Did we really just make Paul rumpled stiltskin? <laughs> Is this a thing that happens? No, he doesn't have, stay here. Having fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh boy uh, Stephanie's gone <laughs> guess yeah, what so, we can probably so, we, we yeah, can Stephanie, Stephanie gets voted out like by a lot of people so yay <laughs> we can actually squeeze one more episode in here I bet we can get an episode out in 10 minutes yeah we could <clears throat> and it's, I will say this is the first time I have ever said this phrase in Survivor history thank god a double elimination <laughs> Even if it gets rid of Cowboy? I don't care. End this season now. <laughs> uh, well, so we it starts off here with, at, at Tribal Council previously, the only other, ex- the only relatively, I guess, exciting thing that happens there is that they bring up to Christina what they think about her attitude and her demands that she makes at camp, and Christina is legitimately shocked, and so we'll get this episode-long storyline of Christina trying to make an amends, but at the same time, argue with Adam incessantly about minute things. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there's all, I, what I remember from my notes looking down here, almost nothing happens in this episode up until the challenge. I have Ozzy still catching fish, Cowboy still rubbing people the wrong way, Christina still bummed. Let's go right to the challenge. Well, we, we, I'll, I'll just, one second, we do have Cowboy, and we see it later as the anti-Joanna ward here, in terms of he wants to bring the idol with him to every challenge because he thinks it's good luck, and people don't yes. like him for that. Yes. I always wonder what, wait, well, yeah, and I don't want to make this into a big discussion, but I always wonder what the, what the harm is in not letting, or in in not wanting to do this. Like, you know, Cowboy's like, "Uh, I think the idol is is awesome, and it's our member, and it's our thing, and we should bring it to a challenge. Like, who's basically going to throw up a fuss and say, no, don't bring it? You know, they're looking for drama in this season. They got to throw it anywhere they can. 
Yeah, so the cowboy is a carved, carved piece of wood for the yeah. trauma. Cowboy is out of control. Like, so you know, if I if I were on Survivor and like someone like, you know, I mean, that's that's the actual like immunity idol and they well, he wants to bring it to a reward challenge. But like, let's say someone like crafted something, like crafted a chair out of, you know, wood or something and said, I want to bring this chair to the challenge. Like, who's me to basically say, nah, you shouldn't <laughs> no, do that. Man. No. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Shane brought his thinking rock to challenges, but they, the producers didn't let him. <laughs> right. Like if Shane wanted to bring his thinking rock to challenge, it'd be like, you do what you got to do, man. <laughs> Courtney probably would have fought him on it. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so we go to the reward challenge, and this is where Probst drops the bombshell that, you know, where they're going to pull the people off the post, drag them across the sand. It's a, always a fun challenge, but both tribes are going to tribal council. So the tribe that wins tonight gets a whole bunch of awesome lamb shanks. You get to vote somebody out and then eat lamb shanks and watch the other tribe's tribal council. So it's one of those double things. And again, it's the only time in Survivor history I'm like, thank God for a double elimination. But watch out, there's another envelope. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Did they just buy a couple, way too many envelopes before the season and they had to start throwing yeah, them in? You know, we sent out too, we sent out too few thank you cards for our Christmas cards, so I, have to, <laughs> I just have to, to use a bunch of extra envelopes here. Let's, have, let's bring in our, those glue sticks that we use for the big book and let's, let's start making notes. <laughs> okay, so this is one where you, the people are on the poll, they're... they're uh, holding under the pole as hard as they can, and the other tribe has to pull them off and drag them across the sand. And yeah, there's nothing really noteworthy about it other than Candace is awesome. The girls, is it Parvati and uh, who's Parvati Jenny. with? Jenny. Parvati and Jenny just cannot pull Candace. And so Candace basically wins this challenge for I2 all by herself. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> there's, a brief, there's a brief note moment of uh, Christina's uh, police officer training where, like, yeah. they're trying to get her, and then she totally gets uh, one of them. I think it's is it flicker or whoever it is like in a just absolutely just is throttling her because she's like she's choking me and then she like totally is like got her pinned down with like her forearm which is basically like you you stay away from my neck (laughs) yeah yeah, you don't you don't manhandle a cop (laughs) so yeah so it's actually kind of a cool challenge and i actually wrote in my notes okay well at least this was interesting that was kind of a fun challenge and they're all beating each other up and ozzy gets manhandled by uh two of the bigger guys yeah, he ends up with these big red scrapes down his neck because they just just uh, grab him and pull him right off that pole. <clears throat> okay, take I'll take the little boy and throw him around. Got it, boss. Get him. Yeah, pound it out. <laughs> Every time you're going to get me on this. We have dueling, again, the dueling Adam impression. I hope you guys realize how much work we put into these podcasts to make this shitty season entertaining. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, so yeah, we're going to go to the double, double tribal council, and there's actually a very big historic moment right here, which yes. kind of gets glossed over a lot. I'm sure Jay, as our strategy guy, would love to talk about this. I don't know that I'm the strategy guy, but let's talk about <laughs> it. Cowboy, of course, has cowboy ways he's going to talk about this, where he has, says he has a dream where he was trying to buy stuff with, like, what, an American Express card? No, I think, and, a, I think a lady came to him with credit card applications, so he didn't even... Credit- he was. He was trying to save kidnapped people that were being haunted by phantom. I don't know. He was basically basically he was basically talking about like being haunted by the predator, and then it it transitioned into this one scene where this lady tries to get him to apply for credit cards. Yes, and then and then he could buy three of this thing and three of this thing, and the whole thing is this convoluted story gets into the three and three, and he calls it because he had his weird dream. He calls it Plan Voodoo, or and basically what he's talking about is he says. 
Candace and Jonathan have been to Exile Island. One of them may have the hidden immunity idol, and they may play it. And so we should split the votes and vote for Candace or Jonathan and flush out the idol. If one of them plays it, then the other one is voted out. And it was very weird at the time. And you could see people talking about it going, I don't know about this. This is a weird sort of thing. But all of that being said, in an era in which hidden immunity idols can be played, splitting votes is a thing that not only is an effective strategy, it's a strategy that is used commonplace today. And this is sort of the first time out loud that someone is talking about splitting votes evenly to flesh out an idol and also get the people you want to go home. Now, even though he's talking about splitting them evenly, Brian Corridan was really the first one to do this with the 3-2-1 plan last year in uh, Guatemala, right? Well, there's the 3-2-1 plan. I mean, obviously, there's that sort of thing. But this is a specific, let's do this, flush the this and the... Into that, right? Or yeah, yeah. It's specifically oriented around using split votes to flush out an idol, and you actually yeah. have to appreciate Cowboy Cowboy's plan more because he's doing it to flush out the God Idol, where it was, it wasn't as they institute in Fiji next season, where it's you play it after the votes are cast but before they're read. It, this is in, in effect we need to cast the most votes for a person so that they'll definitely use it, but someone else will go home. That being said. Cowboy, well, it's a great strategic moment. The logic doesn't necessarily connect. It actually reminds me of that one South Park episode where there's that like Jeff Goldblum-like character who just makes all these random connections that lead to an eventual point. Uh, that, that I mean, I wouldn't put Cowboy's Dream on the level of like Shambo's prophetic dream to vote out Dave Ball, but it's still, it's still a less, uh, an entertaining last hurrah for him. I should point out that one of the things that I dislike about Modern Survivor so much is every episode has to have five-minute scene of everyone talking about how to split the vote which is completely pointless. Like, why do we have to see the inner workings of every vote split? And it is no surprise to me that all that started because of Cook Island. So thank you, Cook Islands. <laughs> well, what, what, the problem with Cowboy here is that Cowboy has a great idea. And what's fun is that we get, you know, a completely boring yet very knowledge-filled confessional from Yule about it, where, you know, Cowboy wants to, he wants to vote out either Candace or Jonathan for, for a couple reasons. One, because he thinks that one of them should have the idol because they've been to Exile Island. And two, he looks around and he's like, you know, all the Raro, all the original Raro, the original Caucasian tribe is still in the game. And if there's a merge coming up and all of them are still there, then they would have a, you know, they could have a majority and, you know, run the, run the post merge. And so he's trying to get a, a Caucasian person out of the game. And he says, Jonathan or Candace would be a good target because I can get people on board with this because we can flush out an idol and all that sort of stuff. But the problem is, is that he's telling this plan to Yule and Yule is specifically in an alliance with Jonathan and Candace. Also, Yule has the idol. So I like the confessional from Yule where he's like, Cowboy is trying to, you know, is worried that Jonathan and Candace have an idol, and I have the idol. But that's an ingenious plan, and it's something I need to to, to take into account for later on. It's like Yule's not really going to be so much in trouble from that, but at least you know he gets Yule thinking, which is great. Yeah. And then Cowboy gets voted out. He gets <laughs> voted out because he told his plan to Yule, and the problem is, is that Yule's got the big the big majority. Yeah. And yeah. the and the the you know typical modern survivor like alternate boot option right here seems to be Jonathan I think it's that the the Becky and the other girls are just like we don't trust Jonathan and Yule is basically like I don't know what to do but it turns out that everything turns out fine and Jessica and uh, Cowboy are the only people that go through on Plan Voodoo and so Cowboy's 
they finally, you know, got rid of him now that they have the chance, but now they get to feast on lamb shanks. Those are some big lamb shanks, too. Those look I love delicious. The random, yeah, they look great. I love the random, you're going to have lamb shanks and bread and apple cider. <laughs> Yeah. You know what meal would have been more fun? <laughs> Mashed potatoes? potatoes. Oh, Stephanie just missed out on it. <laughs> and not only that, besides the lamb shanks and cider, you get some envelopes. <laughs> yeah, so here comes the envelope, and the envelope opens, and it says, now I2 gets to kidnap one member from Raro before the vote. So you're basically sparing them from the vote, and they will join you through the next challenge, which is a completely pointless twist just to have a twist, basically. Yeah, well, I, I don't. I don't think I haven't seen the the next episode yet. But don't they end up sitting Nate out of that challenge anyway? So it's pretty much useless. <laughs> Yay, twists! It's an interesting thing here because that's that's the whole that's the whole bit, right? Is that I two has their tribal council? They vote out cowboy, then they go over to the jury section, just like in uh, Survivor Plow and whatnot, where they get to feast and watch the tribal council. And clearly, this tribal council is everybody just piling on Christina. Right, like yeah. the whole mm-hmm. tribal council that they're watching—they're not making any veiled or or subtle hints going on in front of I two. Raro is basically just teeing off on Christina this whole time, and Christina is just spending the whole tribal council just flustered and defending herself. And then after all of this, after just you know minutes upon minutes upon minutes of everyone just laying into Christina, Jeff then opens the envelope and says, "You can kidnap someone on that side." And it's like they're like. Oh, dude, Christina, we're going to vote Nate over here. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, so there's a couple of questions here. First, I mean, why do, why do we think that I2 chose Nate? Second, it, the vote actually isn't unanimous. Brad actually votes with Christina against Jenny. So I think there are like two kind of question marks there, and I'm not sure if we have enough information to figure out the answer to either one of them. Would have been nice if they had shown, but they didn't. Nah, screw it. Uh Lamb shanks. <laughs> Lamb shanks. I mean, that's the thing. They did, they don't, you're right, Mike. They, you know, they, they don't really show us the voting breakdown over in Raro. They just showed us, I mean, they showed us enough. They showed us that they, that they didn't like Christina and they were going to vote Christina out. So the fact that Christina leaves is not surprising, but they don't show us really any of the thought process going up. And then just the fact, not only do we not know at this point why they selected Nate to be, uh, to be kidnapped but anyway it's like i guess there's two lines of thought right because in vanuatu when uh john kenny looked in on uh the other person the other tribal council he gave the necklace to someone who wasn't in danger because he's like i'm not going to make a decision that's relevant to this tribe but it's like you would think in this case you could you could affect this tribe somehow it's like everyone's piling on christina like you had to know sitting there eating your lamb shanks and bread and apple cider that Christina is probably going home or a major target to go home. Like, if you kidnap her, you now throw a, uh, like a huge monkey wrench into their plans mm-hmm. and, and try to see them scramble and maybe vote someone out that they don't want to vote out. Like, isn't that, isn't that yeah. like the move? Yeah, that's, that's the Ibrahim move, right? Yeah. I love that we're referencing Ibrahim now. <laughs> this is what Cook Islands has done to us. We're bringing back Ibrahim. <laughs> Ibrahim yeah, is a character yeah. on Survivor Cook Islands. Yeah, well, what would, but what would, he isn't. What, what would Dirk do here? <laughs> He'd probably make a Bible out of that book that they gave to Jonathan. <laughs> the tome. 
Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I agree. It just doesn't. I mean, I guess maybe they if they thought like, okay, we can get inform. Maybe Sundra said, okay, I can get information out of him, or maybe they thought, okay, we'll bring him over and try to weaken him. But again, this will not come to fruition whatsoever next episode, um, from what I can remember. So it really was like. Cook Islands is a season of, lo and behold, a lot of twists, and this was definitely one of the ones that we can put on the fizzled outside. It fizzled like a bizzle, <laughs> as Nate would say. That's true. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Christina's voted out. But do we want to talk about uh, Jenny's vote in particular? Of course we do. All right, his, all right, historian buffs. This is a fun one. Let me sit sit down. I'll spin you a yarn. <clears throat> so anyway, Survivor Sucks over the years has been notorious for uh, some would say tasteless threads, funny threads, bi- uh, biting, sarcastic, witty threads, all sorts of stuff. Maybe the most notorious thread in Survivor Sucks history was one called "Other Votes Jenny Would Cast." And this is about the, the hardest I've ever laughed at anything in Survivor ever. This is why I near and dear to my heart, this thing. <clears throat> so basically, what happened was, when Jenny cast her vote for Christina, what Jenny liked to do is, I think all season long, she draws a little picture next to her vote when she votes somebody out. But for Christina, she drew a little picture of a gun shooting a bullet at the name Christina, which, knowing Christina's history is horrible, <laughs> knowing that Christina was shot, and so, and so someone at Survivor Sucks said, hey, that's really horrible. Let's make a joke out of it. So they came up with a thread, and it's still there on Survivor Sucks. If you look now, it's called Other Votes Jenny Would Cast. So they cast the picture of uh, – they, they, it's a screenshot of Jenny holding up the vote for Christina with a gun. And they did a little template where you can fill in your own of basically Jenny writing down a name of anything and putting an offensive picture next to it. And it's the most horrible thing, like – There'd be a vote for New York, and it's the picture of the Twin Towers falling down. And it's like, uh, there's a vote for uh, Patsy Ramsey, and there's a picture of dead John Bonet Ramsey next to it. Like, it's just the most horrible thread. And there's some I'm not even going to talk about that involve dead children of famous celebra- uh, survivors and stuff. But it's the funniest thing. And that thread went on for years. People just trying to think up the most horrible vote Jenny could cast for anybody. And it just went on and on and on, and it kills me. It's one of the funniest things, and it's all from this episode. It's just a screenshot of Jenny holding up a vote for Christina with a little gun shooting at her. So it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, just even just looking at like outside of that thread, the circumstances itself, like like you said, Jenny drew like a volleyball for JP and like a heart for Stephanie. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised she didn't draw plate of mashed potatoes. Um, but <laughs> but for but for Christina, I guess she should say like, okay, I can't draw a badge, I can't draw a police car. Oh, a gun's easy to draw. Not. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, maybe her brain's dead, but she didn't think of. Oh, let me bring up this extremely traumatic event in this woman's life after she's been publicly shamed for the past three days. Let me remind her of the trauma in her life before I send yeah. her packing. <laughs> and I swear, there's a picture on that thread of like Jenny's casting a vote for JFK, and they show JFK getting his head blown off in a picture. Oh. Next. It's just the most horrible thread you've ever seen, and I've I I howl when I see it. It's the funniest thing. So if you're looking for some horrible, horrible, very representative survivor sex humor, look for other votes Jenny would cast. And it's somehow people managed to make Jenny interesting, and she's a legend in the uh, internet message board community because of that thread. And I'm glad we could end the uh, podcast on something so positive. Well, so it, I know, Paul, you watched the recap episode. Did you? Did, was there anything to to get from that? Um, like, so I watched a couple days ago. I honestly don't even remember if I learned anything <laughs> that new from it. Did you learn anything? 
There was that one scene where Raro drank their wine around the fire, and as Nate said, they got faded. And there was that one that you actually ah, and out Stephanie got before. drunk. That was Stephanie funny. Got Stephanie drunk. was drunk. Yeah. yeah. Was it fun? I mean, it was almost like I was like, "Did she drink wine, or did she sneak some potatoes and gravy in here?" <laughs> She's having a little too <laughs> much fun. You sipping on the gravy? <laughs> but that's it. I mean. There's that, and there's the one scene where it's more like Adam and Candace relationship building, which kind of makes sense for their storyline together. Where like the, one of the first days they sail out together, and the wind blows them over to a sandbar, and they huddle together for warmth. But other than that, not nearly as entertaining as Bob Dog trolling Danielle about putting sticks in the fire. I hope there was some fun Yule and Becky strategy talk. A lot of talk about nonprofits, actually. <laughs> awesome. We just sat around and talked about like filing a five hundred one c three. Uh, and appealing to donors. 501c3s are awesome. That's so awesome. Wow. We made it through six episodes of Cook Islands, guys. Oh my God. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Again, I know people love the season. I want to hear your rationale, how you could like, go through these six episodes and love the season. And again, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want to know how. What am I missing? I cannot handle these six episodes. Just, it was brutal just trying to get through four, five, and six today. My notes are so ridiculous. I just literally wrote nothing. Whatever. Who cares? So that's it. Otherwise, it's a great season. I love Cook Islands. <laughs> well, we'll have, we'll have a couple of interesting things to talk about coming up because there's more envelopes and there's more <laughs> bottles. Um, and, you'll, and you can say that like at least... You know, some we'll get we'll have some relatively interesting character stuff going on starting at the final nine. Not necessarily positive character stuff, but I mean, yeah, we're gonna have a couple of episodes still going through where it, it will not be the most. We won't be having fun, uh, even if we'll be eating mashed potatoes and gravy while we're doing so. <laughs> well, thank God Rebecca's still there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Rebecca Plus, is a contestant on Survivor Cook Islands. <laughs> Well, I think it's funny how when we went through Vanuatu, we got Chris to do an interview. We've never done that since. I've been trying to get some other interviews. It hasn't happened, but I think we can land the Cecilia interview. I think that would be a big one. As long as don't get, just don't let Paul's brother listen to it, or if he does, it has to be on the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do you have anything more to add about this joy of a season that we're stuck in the middle of now? That's what I thought. That excellent answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what the thing is, I don't know if this is going to be a two-parter or a three-parter now, because it's we usually don't get through six episodes in the first one. And I don't know if we can get through like nine episodes in the second part. That seems excessive. But that means that part two of Cook Islands would literally just be the worst episodes ever right in the middle. And that's all we do. So I'm not sure how we're going to do this, if it's going to be a two or three-parter. Or we could just maybe. jump right. We could jump right to the mutiny if you want in the next one. <laughs> maybe part. we just need to all buy some stuff from Ozzy and in, inhale it, and then we can record about the middle <laughs> episodes of Survivor Cook Islands. <laughs> That's it. As you guys, you guys can hear, this season really has kind of broken our spirits. So I'm glad. I'm glad you're getting to listen to this. This is a, we've reached a new level this time around. <clears throat> all right. I think that's it. We got to go to bed. It's very late here. Um, any final comments, cracks, any more Rumpelstiltskin references or Adam uh, references or Bruce puns we need to make? Paul, you better stay in that tower and keep spinning those, spinning these yarns of stories I'll, where you I'll relate to Survivor Cook I'll have something ready for next time, yeah. <laughs> you, better All right. good, you better have a good Brad story. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say I love your Brad impressions. That's the big standout of this one. So 
I love it. <laughs> All right. Um, as always, uh, this is the Survivor Historian signing off. Uh, if you have any comments or questions or you want to browbeat us for making fun of your favorite season, Cook Islands, you can reach us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Osselson, off to take a Cecilia. <laughs> and this is Bruce. This season's so boring, you need to bring me back because I'm far more interesting. All right, talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Candace and I, we were talking, and so she, her and Jonathan basically were pretty strong, too. And so it just seemed like a perfect four. But then we were trying to figure out our fifth person. So um, Jonathan mentioned Flicka, and then we were deciding between Ozzy and Cecilia. So I don't know if her and um, Ozzy already have an alliance or not because they're, you know, because they are two and they're. I'm sure they're right now. They're kind of scrambling a little bit because they realize that they're coming into this with fewer numbers. Yeah. And so I mean, if we went along tribal lines, I mean, those people would be voted out along with Sandra. Okay. Hey, so I got to tell you something. Yeah. Um, and again. You know, I'm, I'm telling you because I totally trust you, right, and right, this right. is sort of like um, my gesture that like I trust you, yeah, and no. like all the stuff we talked about, yeah. I, I really believe in. Yeah. I found the idol. <gasps> That's so awesome! God, you yeah. first day or second day? Uh, I found it. Well, I thought it out overnight, just yeah. thinking about the clues and kind of working it out. But you know, if, if we can somehow turn the game around and get us ahead, yeah. and I think like you know, you're in a situation where I could save your butt. Yeah. I mean, I'll do it. Oh, I appreciate it. No, I trust you. You know that I trust you. Yeah. Becky and I have, I think, a tight bond and strong alliance coming out of our Puka tribe. You know, I, I think it's a huge advantage in this game to have someone that you can absolutely trust. And I think given our backgrounds and our common interests, so I felt comfortable disclosing the information to her. I'm not going to tell anybody. I don't think you should tell anybody yet. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so exciting. I'm so proud of you. That's so awesome. Hey, where are the white women at?